Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Bat Around. I'm your host, Paul Valley. With me, as always, is my co-host and producer, Zach Goodman. Zach, good morning. How are you, buddy? Not doing too bad. Trying to get my levels right over here, but how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's not freezing outside. I mean, it's not exactly warm either, but it's a nice day, a nice start to a beautiful Saturday here in the Baltimore Towson. Maryland area in general. I want to remind you that today's show is brought to you by Pressbox Online Offers. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers and click on the DraftKings offer. New players bet just $5 and win $150 if either quarterback throws for more than a single yard in the Chiefs-Bengals game. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers and sign up now. Orioles made some news. Over the past week, over the past couple of days, actually, they trade shortstop. Is it Daryl or Darrell? I believe it's Daryl. Daryl Hernandez yeah. to the Oakland Athletics for left-handed starting pitcher Cole Irvin and minor league right-handed pitcher Kyle Verbitsky. Now, Cole Irvin, uh, he was he was with the Oakland Athletics the last few years. Last year, he went nine and thirteen. Nine thirteen is my birthday. Yep, way. it is. Uh, with a 3.98 ERA and 181 innings pitched in 2022, um, 181 innings pitched would have led the Orioles. His 30 starts would have been second most on the Orioles, behind only Jordan Lyles. Now, I figured this out uh, the, the day that he, that he got traded to the Orioles, and then people were doing something similar, and other people were saying, "Well, yeah, of course, if you take out his bad starts." Um, he had, but we I did this with Jordan Lyles last year too. So we're going to do the same thing with with Irvin. You see the 398 ERA and that's good. It's not great, but it's good. It's better than what you would consider to be league average I'd imagine. Yeah, I think it I think it is. Um yeah. he had six blow-up starts and I think two or three of them came in the last month of the season. Mm-hmm. 33 in the third innings pitched in those six blow-up starts, 31 earned runs allowed. That's an 837 ERA. In all of his other 24 starts, 147 and two-thirds innings pitched, 39 earned runs. I'm sorry, 49 earned runs. That is a 299 ERA in the other 24 starts. He averages just about two walks per nine innings, only 1.7 walks, 0.79 walks per nine in 2022. Uh, but he also only averages about six Ks per nine. He yeah. had one outlier yeah. start last year where he went seven or – I think he went – Eight innings, seven innings of one run ball, and he struck out eleven. Yeah. But every other start, it was like six strikeouts, five, seven, stuff like that. So not a big strikeout guy. Uh, but he also only averaged fourteen point four pitches per inning last year, which was the second fewest in the American League. Now, to yeah. be fair, if we're going to take out the six blow up starts, then we should take out the six his six best starts as okay. well. Yeah. Which I went yeah. back. Somebody pointed out. Yeah. Well, you if you you got to take out. The six best starts and the six worst starts if you're going to play that game. So I went to ESPN.com, and I looked at his six best game scores. And they were all a game score of 69 or higher. For okay. comparison, Kyle Bradish last year, one of his starts uh, where he, I think where, he think where I think he went like eight and two-thirds, and he gave up two hits yeah. and no runs— I think his game score for that game was like a 96 or a 98, which yeah. is like elite. Sure. Okay? Um but his six best, Cole Irvin's six best game scores last year were a 69 or higher, his top being an 84. That was an eight-inning, 11-strikeout game. Um, you take those out, and then his 18 other starts, when you take out the good and the bad, ERA's 388, 
which is good. Yeah, that that's good. That's that's somebody who you slot right in the middle of your rotation. Right. You trust him to go out there and take the ball every fifth day, and you know that he's going to keep you in ball games. Yeah, I mean, I think the really important part about all of this, and and the first thing I looked at when they got him was how many innings has he pitched, and he's averaging about over the last two years with the A's uh, 180 innings, and that is far more than any Orioles starter uh, had last year, and that's to be expected. Obviously, they they had well, a lot. Jordan Lyles had like 179 in the third. He okay, so it's pretty close. But outside of outside of Jordan Lyles, there weren't that many guys who racked up that many innings, just because the Orioles had so many things going on. Dean Kramer kind of had a, a rougher start to the year, and then figured it out down the line. Bradish was on the injured list for a while. So there were a lot of guys that didn't really have the, the fuller seasons. Uh, but Irvin's a guy who can eat innings, number one. And like you said, he slots in as a, as a three or four. He's not going to mm-hmm. – I don't think he's going to blow anyone away. Um, he's not going to be a guy that, that really is flashy in any way, but he gets a lot of ground balls, uh, which is good in Camden Yards. And he's a, definitely a guy who pitches to a lot of contact. Which is good when you have that defense behind it, Exactly. And especially as a lefty um, who, you know, righties are probably going to tee off him a little bit more, but now you've got that wall mm-hmm. um, in left field that's going to help you out with that. So the it, the move, especially based on the ballpark and the factors uh, that that are now there because of that, I think it makes a lot of sense. And and again, he can be a really probably pretty good three starter that eats 180 innings for you and gets you a, a 3.90 RA. That's a really productive pitcher, probably yeah. a, a two two and a half WAR player. And you look at that right, and you think to yourself, Cole Irvin said that he spoke with uh, Chris Holt. Yeah, and yeah. the last. 20, 30 minutes of the conversation was all about pitching and how Chris Holt told him, we think we can make you better than you've ever been. Right. And I don't doubt that. When you look at what they did with that pitching staff last year, how can you doubt that? I mean, Austin Voth was a guy who really never was able to catch really any kind of success in in, uh, Washington. Then he comes to Baltimore and and Chris Holt works with him, whoever else is on that staff that, that knows that pitching as well as possible. Voth became a guy, um, you know, probably based on analytics and their coaching tactics, that was a, a more than serviceable starter for the Orioles. So if that's what they can do with Voth, I can only imagine what they can do with Cole Irvin, who's already had success in the major leagues. Absolutely. And speaking of Austin Voth, he and the Orioles, they agreed to a deal for 2023 worth $1.85 million, with a team option for 2024 for $2.45 million. It can increase to as much as $2.95 million based on how many starts he makes. Now, Voth last year, 5-4, and 3-0-4 ERA in 20. Two games, 17 starts with the Orioles covering 83 innings pitch. He has elite spin rates on his fastball and his curveball. He can provide you length out of the bullpen. He can make starts out of the starts starts out of the rotation for you. Uh, he proved that last year. He was more starter than yeah. reliever la- last year. Now you look at the fact that they brought in Kyle Gibson. They brought in um, Cole Irvin. Yep. You know Bradish is going to be in your rotation. You know Dean Kramer is going to be in yeah. your rotation. So you have four spots filled in your starting rotation. Yep. And look, we're going to talk more in depth about this in Orioles banter, but we're not going to, as somebody said last week, we're not going to bury the lead here. So you got <laughs> you want to look at this rotation right now yeah. with Gibson, Irvin, Bradish, Kramer. Assuming you're going with your standard five-man rotation, you have one spot left for, uh, sorry, I, I'm, I'm trying to find my notes. One spot left for Grayson Rodriguez, Tyler Wells, Austin Voth, D.L. Hall, Mike Ballman, Spencer Watkins, and Bruce Zimmerman. Now, yeah. look, I look at Spencer Watkins and Bruce Zimmerman, and I think that they're on the outside looking in. I, I, I would agree with that. I look at them, yeah. and, I, and I think out of everybody that, they, that they've got here, yeah. you guys 
don't fit the mold. Especially Bruce Zimmerman. The way mm-hmm. he started was a lot better than the way he finished. I mean, there, there was talk that he could become you know a two or three starter for the Orioles in the beginning of the year, and then he kind of fell off a cliff. So I think he's definitely on the outside looking in. Spencer Watkins is a guy who's kind of always been on the outside looking in and had, and, and to, had to make spot starts for him it, 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 It's so strange because Spencer Watkins at one point last year was really good for, he the was extended, pitching for really an extended well. period, yeah. but you never felt like it was anything more than smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Bruce Zimmerman, you say he fell off a cliff. He got a running start and jumped jumped off a cliff. Yeah. He, there was yeah. a point he gave up like 17 home runs in 15 innings, something like that. It was absolutely insane how bad he like how good he was to start the year where you're like, "Oh man, we lost John Means, but now we have another lefty coming into this right. rotation right. who took his spot immediately." I mean, he he got that opening day start. I was going to say there's PR hype around that. He, yeah. He, he he gave up no runs to the Brewers on opening day on the in the home opener yep. over like five or six innings and you're like, "Man, they have something here. The curveball's really good. The problem is the changeup started really good, and when that start, when that changeup kind of flattens out and just kind of floats there, yeah. it becomes very hittable. Yeah. Um, look, if nothing else, but whoever doesn't make this rotation doesn't take that fifth spot, and maybe they go to a six-man rotation. Mm-hmm. They might do that so they can get their best arms in there, and they know that like Grayson Rodriguez is probably going to be on an innings limit. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Wells, D.L. Hall, guys like that might be on an innings limit next year. If they have a sixth starter, you can piggyback those guys. Right. Uh, that's gonna that that remains to be seen. You want to have the best arms on your big league club, and the best arms on your big league club out of that grouping is Grayson Rodriguez, Tyler Wells, and DL Hall. Yeah. Right. Those those are the best arms. Now, out of that grouping, the guys who are gonna be on the the opening day roster are Tyler Wells and Austin both. Yeah. We know that beyond the sh- beyond the shadow of a doubt. And I think both of them, especially, t- obviously, Tyler Wells has had success and, and last year as a starter and the year before as a reliever. I don't know if it would be a smart decision right now for the Orioles to go right back into relieving or just starting for Tyler Wells. I think mm-hmm. they're going to have to start him as a reliever. Um, I think both as well just makes so much more sense as a reliever at this moment. Um, like you said, he, he kind of moved around last year and he did both, but he's both did both. Uh, but he's a guy nice. who you know can do both um, in effective ways. It's not like he's significantly better th- at one than the other, and he's a guy that is really again kind of on the outside looking in because of Grayson Rodriguez still being there. He's yeah. Grayson's going to be on an innings limit, and he might do a lot of three, four inning starts, especially to start the year. Piggyback a guy like Dia Hall, Austin Voth to that. That would make well, sense. And, and again, we're, we're not going to steal our thunder sure. from Orioles banter later, so we'll we'll cover this more in depth uh, later in the show. Um, but it's certainly an interesting thing, and in at, at the very least, we can say whoever doesn't make this rotation is going to make up a strong rotation in Norfolk, and they're only yeah. they're they're only an injury. Or ineffective uh, pitcher away, which is bound to from, happen, right? Yeah. Right, and, and especially when you look at a guy like Tyler Wells, who was injured, and that's why he was able to be taken in the Rule Five draft because of the injury history. And then he last year two D, two two injured list stints last year, one of which was to end the season, so he he wasn't able to fit, to finish the season healthy. Um, so look, there's there's a lot of things that can happen. We've certainly seen it all happen in the past, but you know that no matter who's in the Orioles' rotation, they deserve to be there. You're going to have five legitimate starting pitchers in your rotation, and we haven't been able to say that in six, seven, eight years. At least, yeah. It's it's definitely the strongest group they've had. Stan always says... Uh, you know, talking to GMs that he has in the past, they always say they want to come into spring training with 10, 11 mm-hmm. good starting options. 
And I don't feel like the Orioles are that far from that at this point. And if you sign a guy, say they sign a guy like Waka, it's always possible still. They still talk to him. Um, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if it does, then you're adding just another option. You want right. to have as many as possible. If they have 10 or 11 guys, they're going to be in a really good spot. To, to me, this takes him out of the running for Michael you're Waka. Probably and right. I don't, I, uh, he's probably asking for too much money. Mm-hmm. They've got two guys in their rotation in Gibson and Irvin now who can give them innings, save that bullpen. Bradish and Kramer were really good last year, especially down the stretch for Bradish. Um, so I, I don't think that you want to take starts away from a guy like Grayson Rodriguez or Tyler Wells or Alston both to bring in Michael Waka. Now, if these guys really struggle, then you look back on it in hindsight's twenty twenty. But you have to believe that guys like this aren't going to struggle. And Grayson Rodriguez is is a guy who you think maybe he's not going to be an ace his rookie year. It'd be no. it'd be Really awful to expect him to be. Right. Um, but I think that he's gonna he'll figure it out probably, I would imagine, pretty quickly. And and then this is all before you think about John Means, who's coming back right. in June or July, and maybe you don't have to bring him back as quickly as possible because you have all these guys in your rotation. But again, we are stealing thunder from Orioles banter here. Let's talk about the other pieces of this trade. Uh, Kyle Verbitsky, he comes over in the deal. 24-year-old minor league right-handed pitcher. Just like Tyler Wells, he stands six foot eight. Another guy with impeccable control. 2.1 walks per nine, um, 10.2 strikeouts per nine in his minor league yeah. career. Control and K rate seem to be a plus, but he seems to also give up a lot of contact. Um, what are your thoughts on 24 and he hasn't pitched above high A? Kind of yeah. like sets off a red flag in my mind. Well, I think he was a 17th round draft pick. He so was. probably going to be moved a little slower than a lot of guys taken ahead of him. And that's one thing that I definitely stood out to me that, you know, being drafted that late, it's always a little bit different. Maybe he was an older guy coming out of college. Maybe he was 22. I think that was the case, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a guy, when, when you combine uh, K rate and wa- the walk rate being so good, that's a really great thing. I mean, that's, that's going to make a great K to walk ratio. I mean, th- th- that's going to be fantastic for the Orioles, but if he's giving up a lot of contact, um, th- that tells me that the stuff is probably not too good. Uh, but you know, if the control's good enough, he can definitely make himself into a back end starter. Maybe long reliever could be the, the role for him. Um, he's a guy, th- the numbers haven't been really that good yet. If, I, he's been in the mid four ERA is up close to five in, in some cases. So he's got improving to do. Uh, but I, I think the peripherals are kind of there for him and the Orioles s- definitely see something in him. Um, yeah. To bring him in, I he's not just a throw into this trade. They're making calculated moves where they know, you know, maybe they wanted this guy in the draft a few years ago. That's probably the case. Um, and you know, he, he's going to be a guy who is probably going to flourish like a lot of these other pitching prospects that they have because of their development and, and how mm-hmm. good it's been these past few years. So I'm looking forward to seeing him in person and, and trying to get a, a better idea of the pitch mix. Yeah, and look, the the Orioles over the last year have shown that they can develop starting pitching. They Definitely. can develop uh, bullpen arms. And a guy who's six foot eight is an imposing figure on the mound. And guys that are that big, generally, I think they have, they're have. they more likely to have success than not. I think if you look at guys that are that big, they, they, they tend to have success. Um, and, he sh- and if you have that kind of control and that kind of... If you can walk that few and strike out that many... Right, I mean, that's the, an eight difference. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's somebody who has something that you can probably mold into something pretty damn good. And look, there's a reason the Orioles have the number one farm system in all of baseball. Uh, is because they are drafting well, they're, yeah. they're scouting well, they know what players are have the potential to be the best for them. And Mike Elias goes out and makes these deals to get these guys without giving up too much. And you look at, he gives up Daryl Hernase, 
who four years ago, five years ago, yeah. a player like him would have been a top five prospect Definitely. for this team. Definitely. Now he's the sixth best infield prospect that you have. Number yeah. 16 overall, according to MLB Pipeline, in your system. Hit well over 300 at uh, high A Aberdeen last year, and but then he got to Bowie and, and he struggled. So what you do now is you take your sixth best infield prospect and you trade him not only for a legitimate major league starting pitcher, but a guy in Kyle Verbitsky who you think might end up being a legitimate major league starting pitcher. And, and how does Mike Elias keep pulling? How does he keep getting away with this? Uh, uh, to me, it's an incredible deal. It's it an absolutely it incredible is. deal to get two quality pitchers for a guy who is probably never going to play for your major league club. Yeah, I mean, Hernays added muscle this year, and he got a little bit better, and the numbers were definitely pretty decent for him. And he's a guy, obviously, who came out of high school, and he's, he was a bit younger when he was coming out. So it's taken him a little while, and, and I guess a lot of people really haven't seen Hernays yet, and especially he hasn't been to the higher levels, AA, AAA, where we've really gotten a good look at him and where the numbers are really going to matter all that much. So I think my opinion on Hernays isn't really full, so I can't give a uh, complete analysis of him or anything. But sure. what, from what I know, know um, I do know that the Orioles have Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz and uh, Connor Norby and a wealth and of course and, Jackson Holiday yeah. a wealth of infield prospects and you're trading from a position that a few years ago wasn't depth at all but is now probably the most depth you have in your entire organization so you're trading from that depth he probably wasn't going to get a chance because you still have Mateo Arias these other guys and of course Gunnar Henderson who are up there and kind of taking up spots already it's it's confusing where they're going to put Ortiz, Norby, all of these guys in the first place. So then Daryl Hernandez, I'm not really sure where he fits into that. Right. So Michael Elias is trading from depth, and he makes a move that makes, frankly, a lot of sense. You're, you're acquiring a uh, position that's been needed for about three years. Yeah, and you look at the trades that he's made since he's been here, mm -hmm. you know, and Bundy, he trades to the Angels, yep. and he gets back Kyle Bradish. He gets back, um, I can't, is it Kyle Brnovich? So Brnovich, yeah. Bren Brnovich, Zach Peak, yep. and Isaac Matson. Yep. Um, Isaac Matson was a guy who they expected to be the best out of all those yeah. guys, and now it's probably looking like it's Bradish and then Brnovich, right? Um, he traded uh, Michael Givens to the Colorado Rockies. He got Taron Vavra, who, there's not power there, but he gets on base. Yeah. And it, that's a guy who low key could end up being a solid player for the Orioles as a utility guy uh, that, that can put the bat on the ball and can yeah. get on base. And now Michael Givens is back on your and, team. And now Michael so, Givens is back. Tyler, yeah. Tyler Nevin, he was a former first-round pick. His dad was a prolific slugger at the big league level. It was worth a shot. He was a th he was kind of like, a, I guess, a throw-in. Maybe he was the centerpiece of that trade. Didn't work out. He's with yeah. Detroit now. But then you look at uh, Jose Iglesias for Garrett Stallings and uh, Jean Pinto. Yep. Uh, these are good moves low-key moves that, that uh, Michael Elias is making, yeah. and it seems after the fact that the Orioles kind of fleece these teams, and they're a hell of a lot better because of it. It's your thoughts on Michael Elias being able to get more for seemingly less. Yeah, I mean, he's he's really done almost, I would say, an impeccable job in in the trades he's made so far. I mean, the, the Dylan Bundy trade, I think, will go down as one of the greatest Michael Elias trades you know, he ever makes as an mm -hmm. Orioles GM because that's just, you're getting a guy who you have six years of control now with, with Kyle Bradish, 
and you know who knows what's going to become of, of Peak and Brinovich, and I, I believe Matson's out of the organization now. But those three guys have chances all to become major leaguers, and and Bradish has the chance to really become a two or a three in a, a, on a winning ball club that could win a World Series. Bradish showed what he can do last year. You talk about that start versus the Cardinals, but he had a number of other ones that were uh, really good as well. This is a guy who is a legit major league starter that you traded away a guy like Dylan Bundy for. Mm-hmm. Dylan Bundy wasn't really doing the Orioles any favors, and he really didn't do the Angels any favors either once they got him. He was good in 2020. He, he was, yeah, he was okay. Um, shortened season, he didn't have that many starts, and he was fine, but he's I, you know, he's not even an Angel anymore. Um, and now you've got Kyle Bradish, who... I think he's a free agent still. I think he is a free agent, yeah. He and was the, with the Twins the last right. couple of years, but I do believe that he's a, that he's a free agent and, now. and now you've got Kyle Bradish, who, again, is going to be a middle-of-the-rotation to top-of-the-rotation guy if everything works out for him. That's an incredible trade. And then he's just built depth across the other mm-hmm. trades he's made. Kyle Bradish, to me... You're watching him his last 13 starts last year, and he was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. He was absolutely, and, and I'm watching him. And I I posted on Twitter last year during the season after one of he had he had a six start stretch where he went seven innings or more, two hits or less, yeah. um, in four of those starts. And I posted, is there any reason why Kyle Bradish won't be your opening day starter next year? Yeah, I don't know that he's going to be. It's probably going to be Kyle Gibson or Cole Irvin right. at, at this point, or you know, you, you work, or you know Brandon Hyde, and he loves sure. the matchups. You work the matchups there. That's probably what he's going to do to start. I, I think they're going to go with Irvin to personally. start to start the yeah. year, right? And uh, but Kyle Bradish to me is just as good as anybody. Maybe not Grayson Rodriguez or DL Hall, but there's a reason Matt Blood said that he held him on, uh, in the same realm as Rodriguez. And I mean, Hall. I I prefer Bradish to Hall personally. Well, I mean, a, a lot of people do, yeah. but. That's because th- there's there's so little on DL Hall to this point to make any kind of rash assumptions one way or the other. It's true, you know we know the elite arm talent, but everybody just seems to think, oh well, he walks too many guys, put him in the bullpen and let him unleash that arm. Did you watch that 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 video on him, the the little mini documentary? On I, him? I yeah, it, I mean he definitely seems like a good guy. Um, mm-hmm. Seems like he comes from you know a. a kind of humble background and humble beginnings and he definitely seems I, I guess we got a better glimpse into his character a little bit mm-hmm. um, and again I'm not making any assumptions I'm gonna you know let let it play out and, and see how the Orioles do with it and I, I think they're definitely gonna give him a chance to start and I think that's the right move yeah I, I think it is too and it's um I lost my train of thought oh now I remember um <laughs> why did DL Hall get a documentary it's a good question. I, I think they did one with Rutschman too, didn't they? Like in in November or something. I never saw it. Okay. I I mean, if they did, I'll have to I'll have to go check. It it out. Have... You you understand with Adley Rutschman because he's one one yeah. and number one prospect in all of baseball, and they're talking about him in the same breath as Johnny Bench. You, right. You, you, right. And then he puts yeah. up a five point two B WAR yeah. last year. So you get that. DL Hall. And look, he's been one of the top left-handed pitching prospects. Still is. Uh, he's. I think he was came in at number ten mm-hmm. uh, on the top ten left-handed pitching prospects. Uh, he's. There's a reason that he's been there the last two or three years. Last three years, I think. But man, I keep getting these spam phone calls, and I have no idea. Like they've just been plentiful over the last week. I mean, here's how you get them to stop. You just give them your credit card number, your social security number, and then you're good. Oh, okay. They'll, they'll stop after oh, that. Oh, so give them what they want, and then... Yeah, uh, I, I did that, and then they stopped. So, it, yeah. it, that makes sense. No, no wonder you have to wear such <laughs> faded clothes. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I got my Orioles. Nah, nah it's, a, yeah. it's a good-looking hoodie. I yeah, like it. A good hoodie. I'll have to talk to you after the show about where you got it. Um, but, but I just didn't understand. Like, D.L. Hall, love the guy. 
mm-hmm. think he's got a really bright future. How, why did he need a why, why did he get a documentary? I that's a great question. <laughs> I mean, they want to create hype, and I think it's actually. Uh, probably a good sign for Deal Hall that he's yeah. going to get a lot of looks this year. Uh, they want to create hype around this guy, and, and it's probably going to sell some tickets when Deal Hall is starting. So I, I, I think that's certainly part of it. I look at Deal Hall, and I just, and everybody, and again, we've talked about it on the show. You talk about the walk rate, and it was in, in the minors last year, it was 5.3. When he was at Norfolk, it was 5.8. Yeah. He got to the major leagues, and that went down almost two walks per nine. It went down to four under Chris Holt's tutelage. I. Re- I seem to beat this into the ground every week, and I don't want to. I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> I, just I, I want to be the guy that I guess it's never, I never thought of it this way. But like, I want to be a guy who was on him from the beginning and never wavered because I, I think he's special. I really do think he's special, and I think that he's going to start the year at Norfolk. Uh, I, I think that I agree. He's going to start the year at Norfolk, getting starts. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Grayson starts the year at Norfolk. I don't think he should. I think he should be the number five. I think that he should be going into camp. He hasn't earned it, but I think that he should be going into camp with their mindset being he's our he's that guy who fills that fifth slot yeah. in our rotation, yeah. and he's got to lose it because he's better than everybody else. He's be, uh, he's better than Tyler Wells. He's better than Austin Both. He's better than Mike Ballman. I don't know that he's better than DL, DL Hall, but he probably is. And you're probably. saying that based on what based on what he did in the minor leagues. He hasn't gotten to the major league level yet, but none of them were as good as he was right. at the minor league level. And he's the top right-handed, top pitching prospect. Well, he's dominated everywhere. everywhere. He, he has yet to really fail. Yeah. There's no adversity for, for Grayson. I think eventually he'll hit that. Yeah. Um, it's probably going to be this year where he'll have a few blow-up starts and there will be the people on Twitter that are like, oh, Grayson Rodriguez is, is not what we thought he was. And the people would jump to conclusions and it's going to be ridiculous. But Grayson's going to have rough starts eventually, and he will. Um, he's not – again, we, we talked about it the other day, but it took Max Scherzer 60 years to become Max Scherzer. So, right. you know, I'm not saying it's going to take six years for Grayson, but he's not going to be the ace right out of the right it, out of the gate. It took Peyton Manning six years to win a playoff game. Yeah, I mean, Peyton Manning through like 25 interceptions 28. rookie year or something like that yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was absolutely insane now it's two different sports I just wanted to throw it in there because you know it's the championship weekend so um, we got to get Stan the fan on the line want to remind everybody that today's show is brought to you by your local Toyota dealer the Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines and you can choose a perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today coming up on our show Stan the fan Charles in a matter of moments for his weekly segment. Then, from the Baltimore Sun, their newest Orioles beat writer, Jacob Meyer, joins the show in the 11 o'clock hour. Plus, sounding off with Zach Goodman, Orioles banter, and a trivia question that I have for Zach that's sure to stump him. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a doozy, the one that I have for you. Um, I, I, I can't say I'm looking forward to that, then. I, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's a doozy. You should be able to get... Okay. A, a, a good bit of it, but there's some guys in there that there's no way you're going to get. There, okay. There's no I, way I you're going to get. I bet. But joining us now on the program for his weekly segment, he is Stan the Fan. Charles, Stan, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Zach. How are you guys doing? We're doing really well, Stan. Doing really well. And this uh, this trade for Cole Irvin happened just a couple of days ago. The Orioles give up their number 16 overall prospect, probably their, their sixth best infield prospect, and they acquire a legitimate left-handed starting uh, big league pitcher, and then a right-handed minor league uh, pitcher who's huge at six foot eight, tons of control there, and he's an intriguing prospect. What were your thoughts on the pickup of Cole Irvin? 
liked it a lot. Liked it a lot. It uh, completes a, uh, you know, a, a, like I, like we said all along, it's not a sexy group that they've picked up in Gibson, Fraser, McCann, Givens, and Irwin. But what a difference from what we've seen over the last three years where they're constantly trading their good little players, you know, uh, to finally give manager Brandon Hyde a real team to work with uh, is uh, it, it's very promising and exciting. Yeah. Stan, do you think that the Orioles going out and getting a lefty, especially with what they did to the wall in left field last year in Camden Yards, was a strategic move specifically because of the you know the the handedness he has? Yeah, I I think that uh, I, I I would think that they would prefer in the in future years to have like at least two and maybe three left-handed starters in their rotation. Now you can't always change that overnight. But what you're looking at is maybe by June or July this year, if Irvin's healthy and Means is back, that you have two of the five starters being left-handed. I think it's uh, very important. It, you know, it's just the way we've observed that that Mike Elias really likes left-handed hitters uh, because of the dimensions at Camden Yards, where you're going to play 81 of your games. Yeah, it, it, it looks like they have a plan. And they're sticking to it. And now at this point, Stan, you know that you have four rotation spots that are locked down. And that's uh, Kyle Gibson, Cole Irvin, Kyle Bradish, and Dean Kramer. So it leaves really one spot for Grayson Rodriguez, Tyler Wells, Austin Voth, D.L. Hall, Mike Ballman, Spencer Watkins, and Bruce Emerson. i got to be honest, Stan, I don't even like mentioning Watkins and Bruce Emerson because I do not think either of them have a shot at breaking the, uh, breaking the camp with the team when you look at all the p- pitchers that they have in place now. We know Tyler Wells and Austin both are going to be on this ball club to start the year. How big of a hit did Grayson Rodriguez's chances at the opening day rotation take with the addition of Cole Irvin? I don't really think they've taken a substantial hit. I think, uh, you know, if he proves through you know, five or six performances during spring training that he's pitching well, I see no reason that he can't still be on the opening day roster. You know, how they, how they, plan, to, how they plan to implement the rotation this year is, is a little unclear right now because, mm-hmm. again, Luke, Luke Jackson and I talk about it all the time. You weren't looking at Grayson Rodriguez being a 32-start guy, max innings. You know, you're looking at a guy that's going to be building up from 75 innings that they've used training wheels on for the three or four years he's been in the organization. So there was no way he was going to go up from 75 innings to like 160, 170. He's going to go about 125 innings. So that in and of itself, says that you're going to need more than five starters. And I think the idea of, you know, using a piggyback or, or strategic times where you might put them on the IL for some reason, although that gets tricky because, um, you know, nah, they get paid while they're on the IL, so it's yeah. not that tricky. No. But, you know, I, I, again, I don't see day one Grayson Rodriguez starting 32, 32 games this year with the intention of each of those being six-inning games. You know, I think there's going to be an awful lot of three, four-inning performances by him, whether they're starts or he's the back end 
of the piggyback, I can't really say. I would think they want to keep him more as a rotation starter, but just limit the innings that he throws. Yeah, and especially when you look at, they expect him to eventually be their ace in the coming years. Uh, I would imagine they want to keep him on a starter's routine, and then that's where a guy like Tyler Wells or Austin Voth comes into play. They're coming in in the fourth or the fifth inning and And, bridging the gap to the the back end. And that's that's one way to do it, Paul, but suppose their plan is, let's see how, how effective six starters are and they have wells or both is a is a six starter then you've limited how many how many starts would you be taking away from a pitcher you know uh if if 32 is the norm you'd probably cut that down to 25 if you use the six starter you know but again i don't look i don't look for many performances this year from from grayson this year that are six innings plus you know I think you're going to see an awful lot of four-inning performances from him. Now, Stan, when Mike Elias was on 105.7 The Fan last week, um, he did state that, he, he I, I, not verbatim here, but basically what he said was, there's no history that's, that, that says that ramping a pitcher up from a certain amount of innings to this amount of innings uh, leads mm-hmm. to, to significant injury. So most teams just kind of use common sense um, when, when yeah. it comes to that, do you take anything from that as, as if he's saying, you know, we're not necessarily going to limit these guys. If we feel like they're effective and they can help us and, and give us those ex, those innings, we're going to let them do it. Yeah. I think the beauty of this acquisition is this is a guy that has been a, a pretty good innings eater for the Oakland A's the past two years, throwing 178 and then 181 last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think, you know, you, you want to be able to manage the innings because, again, Paul, what we, the one thing we'd hate to do is if, if there is a cutoff point, let's say it's between 125 and 140 mm-hmm. for Grayson, but the Orioles are in a, a pennant race, you, you're going to want to have access to your best pitchers. You know, not wildly, so suppose the Orioles do get in the playoffs and you, and you have a hard innings limit in your mind of 140 is the max that we want to use Grayson this year. Sure. Well, what about the playoffs? You know, yeah. because the playoffs, you may need them. You might need them another 30 to 35 innings. You know, so um, I think that what they've done here is is sort of a beautiful finish to what they're trying to accomplish. And again, you and I butt heads a little on the money. This This guy fits perfectly in in the um, you know in the budget and the control team control I, I like to pick up a lot. The one thing that I'll say, uh, you know, I I do a lot of deep dives as much as I can and my own analytics. Mm-hmm. And you know, last year Cole Irvin, if you look at if you look at his season in totality, you see a three nine eight earn run average and a one point one six WHIP. But then you look at how he was pitching until about he had a six or seven inning shutout performance in like August 20th or 21st. His next six out of seven starts, he threw 32 and two thirds innings and gave up 30 runs. Mm-hmm. And his earned run average went from 316 to 3.98. Mm-hmm. And his whip, 
he gave up 59 base runners in those 32 and two-thirds innings. So his whip must have been about, I'm guessing, it was right around one for his first 145 innings. Of the uh, and I asked him a question about that uh, yesterday, and he didn't get defensive about it. He says he's been working on a plan uh, since the season stopped last year to be stronger, uh, that he felt like maybe he 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 didn't pace himself enough during the season. Yeah, uh, so it was very interesting. Yeah, I, I actually saw that uh, on social media this morning. I didn't realize you were the one that asked the question. And he was saying that he started getting ready for the season so early the last couple of years, and that he thinks that's why he kind of runs out of gas the last month of the season. So I'm interested yep. to see if he gets with, with Chris Holt. And he said that the last 20, 30 minutes of the conversation with Chris Holt was just about pitching and how Holt said – we think we can make you better than you've ever been. So it'll be interesting to see yeah. the regimen that they get him on, the the how he looks throughout the season and what he's done to ensure that that last month of the year when the Orioles are playing maybe their most meaningful baseball, he's there and can post up for them every fifth day. So that's that's the, certainly the, – go ahead. The, the, the most interesting aspect of what he said, he said – and he said he was working on his strengths and mm-hmm. conditioning. Uh, and he said that his bullpens – he usually at this time of year is like 83, 84 miles an hour. He says he's been without max effort. He's been up around 90 miles an hour. Wow. That, that's pretty, that's a pretty amazing bump up. That's significant. Of six, six and a half miles per hour. Look, I know Chris Holt doesn't walk on water, but I'm excited to see how he, how he rounds a guy like this off, how he helps Kyle Gibson be better. Uh, you know, it's exciting to have, as part of your ammunition, the fact that the pitching coach and the analytic people have a have a track record now of making their, their guys better. So you, you can't help but be excited. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's hard not to be excited about what's happening with the Orioles right now and how it looks like they're preparing for a run of extended success. And all you have to do is look at the three top 100 prospects lists that have come out and see that they have 10 players represented on those three lists. And it's 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 an exciting time to be an Orioles fan, to be somebody that covers the Orioles, because it looks like it's only up from here. And again, this is what Mike Elias meant from liftoff from here. Not We're going to go out this, and, and this, sign yeah. Carlos Rodon. It means we're only going to get better from here. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, the, the person I feel happiest for is Brandon Hyde because in his, you know, what's he managed, 19, 20, 21, or 20, he's been here four years. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote down late last night, Iglesias, Gibbons, Cobb, Ashner, Blyer, Sulcer, Scott, Castro, Galvis. That's nine players that none of them are real star players, mm-hmm. but they were sort of a guy's, it made the product out there at least representative in a way. Sure. Uh, and now, and now you're you stopped. Uh, you stopped the uh, what's the, the 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 outward flow of players, and you're bringing in better players than you've had before. So I'm I'm you know I'm look. I'd be more excited if I probably if I lived in Toronto mm-hmm. or if I lived in Seattle. I'd be a little bit more excited. Sure. But I think you can't help. But be excited, and also, what we haven't touched on, Paul, is that we probably will see a better version 
of Adley Rutschman this year yep. and of Gunnar Henderson. Yep. So, you know, you'd only think that they should improve uh, a, a, a good bit, you know. So I'm, I'm pretty excited as spring training is just about two weeks away. Stan, we know that, that Cole Irvin is a guy that pitches to contact a little more, and Adley Rutschman is a guy that mm-hmm. has really helped out so many pitchers, especially Austin Voth. You look at really any guy across the Orioles organization, you can throw in Dean Kramer there, in there as well. How much do you see Adley Rutschman making Cole Irvin better just by, by being that guy who can call the pitches and, and help him pitch to contact a little better? I, I think there's no question that Cole Irvin is not just getting a better, and this is no knock, at Sean Murphy from all, you know, I mean, the Atlanta Braves are a pretty good organization. So uh, for them to trade for him and then give him a five-year extension or whatever it was. Um, so let's not demean him, but I think he's coming to a much better overall defensive organization, you know, and I think that's one of the, the small things that we don't talk about often is that Mike Elias has built, a team that really is going to defend very, very well. Yeah, and that's only going to help the pitching staff, not just because they, they're going to catch balls that are hit to them, but because it, it changes a pitcher's mentality. They don't have to worry, well, you know what, i got to strike this guy out because if he hits it someplace, they might not catch the ball. Now they're thinking, I can give up some contact here, and I I can trust that my guys are going to get... Trust gonna, my guys. you got to trust your guys. They're going to catch the baseball, and, and that changes the, the mentality of a, of a pitcher so much that you really can't quantify outwardly. So it's, it's, it's a you big know, deal. I, I go back to that game, and I guess it was in 20... Was, it, was Bundy's last year with the team 19 or 20? 19. It was 19. Yeah. 19. I'll never forget the game where he threw, he, uh, the bases were loaded, and he th- he threw a ball that Severino should have caught, okay? But mm. as happened on about one out of ten pitches to Severino, the ball got by him, and Bundy didn't even cover home plate. He was yep. so frustrated Two runs by Severino. And I, and I remember saying, that's it for Dylan Bundy here in Baltimore. And they, they you know, that's... N- you can't let that get to you, but it does get to you. You're mm-hmm. human. You're trying to battle out. I think it was like a 97 uh, degree day heat wise. And we all know Bundy used to sweat like profusely if the weather was above 75 mm-hmm. and he's out there battling. And the fact that the catcher didn't help him really frustrated him. And I understood both sides of it, but I said, this is not the kind of player they want and then Mike Elias was able to turn him into four pitchers. Now, it doesn't look like any of them, other than Braddish, are really going to have an impact on the organization. But it's it's interesting how he's always looking to add young arms. Um, you know, we may not like that he doesn't go out and get a, a Carlos Rodon or Justin Verlander at this point in the Orioles' rebuild. But, boy, he's always, you know, always adding a, an arm in every deal he does. And Kyle Verbitsky, again, is a very intriguing piece to this puzzle. And I think in an admission that Irvin for Hernays was not a fair deal, even up, you know, that the Orioles deserve something better because Hernays may turn out to be a really, really good player. And I think that that's important to note because you know we've talked about, and, and uh, Zach and I did a guest spot on a podcast earlier this week, 
and we were talking about Daryl Hernays after the podcast, and we were all saying he, he might be a utility guy for the Orioles, and then he gets traded a day or two later. And yep. But there was a time, Stan, where he would have been a top-five prospect for the Orioles, and maybe he will actually yep. get the chance to shine out in Oakland because he has nobody blocking him. He's the Orioles. He was the Orioles' sixth-best infield prospect. I mean, sixth-best infield prospect. Yep. Now he goes out to Oakland, and he might be their top-position prospect. You know, it, it, it's yep. it's— so I, I think that people tend to forget the Orioles system is so good that a guy like Daryl Hernandez gets lost in the shuffle, and he's no slouch. So I, I like no, that you brought up that No, he's no slouch. Yeah. And there's an admission by the A's that we, we, we want this guy, and we're willing to throw something intriguing in to make the deal work for you, you know. What does it say about Mike Elias as a general manager that he's able to get more for seemingly less in a lot of these deals. And you mentioned some of them. You mentioned uh, Bundy, and he got four pitches out of that. And, and there's still some intrigue left to Brinovich and Zach Peek. Uh, Givens got for Vavra, and Nevin Vavra looks like he might be a utility guy. Uh, Iglesias mm-hmm. for, for Stallings and John Pinto. Trey Mancini netted you two legitimate pitching prospects. You look at that, what does it say about Mike Elias as a GM that he's able to pull this off? I think he's very, I mean, he's very, you know, he's very shrewd at, at evaluations of players and, and, you know, he's not a guy, you know, what else is interesting about this, that this didn't, this wasn't rumored for three weeks that the Orioles are in on Coles and, you know, it kind of came out of nowhere. It means that he's, he, he's, he runs a very tight ship, not, not any leaks, of anything on our side, um, uh, you know, I, I think uh, very much that uh, that John Angelo's hired a really, really tremendous talent in uh, Mike and bringing Sig along. Yeah. And look at look how look how forceful they were about making room for Chris Holt. You know, Doug Brocal, by all intents and purposes, wasn't a bad pitching coach, but he wanted to make sure he kept somebody that he viewed as very important to the organization. And I think we'd agree in these past two years, uh, Chris Holt has shown that he's able to get something out of people. It's an important point to bring yeah. up because Chris Holt, we know that if the Orioles hadn't ma- named him their pitching coach two years ago, somebody was going was gonna to pluck him and they were going to make him the yep. pitching coach. And look, it, it's, yep. it benefits the Orioles 100% because this guy yep. has shown he, he's made something out of nothing, it seems, with a lot of these guys. So it's been impressive yep. to see. Now, we're talking about this team, saying how excited we are and all the prospects and how good the Orioles could be now and for the foreseeable future. I don't think that they're better than Toronto. I don't think that they're overall better than the Yankees. Um, but I do think they're good enough to be better than than Boston and potentially Tampa Bay. And as good as they they could be, you still have to be better than Texas and Seattle and the Angels and the Twins and the White Sox and, and Cleveland if you want to expect to make it into the postseason. Are the Orioles good enough to do that at this point? Is there Do they have in them to uh, what it takes to be the Seattle Mariners of 2022? Um, I don't, I don't like to compare them exactly to another team, but, but I will say that I think all that we've talked about that we're projecting that's on the good side of things. I think there's enough uncertainty in Ryan Mountcastle, 
Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, and Santander, which are your sort of core four. I know that Henderson and Rutschman are make it a core six, but um, I don't know what version of those players we're going to get. Right. And if we get, if if somehow there's a fluke and Santander can perform at the same level he did last year and Mullins picks up his game a notch again and the other two, Hayes and Mountcastle, I think we might be better than than even Toronto. You know, uh, I think it's possible. Um, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But uh, I certainly think they're, they're overall they're better than Texas. I think they're better than the White Sox. I think they're better than the Angels. Uh, but those teams have done things to improve themselves as well. Um, so uh, it's going to be it's going to be. I, you know, I wrote a column last week about the dress rehearsal for my MLB power rankings, and I think there'd be very whether I get it right from one to twelve. I think there'd be very little dispute what teams are in the top twelve, and I think the bottom six or seven. Uh, there'd be very little dispute that the A's uh, are in the the Washington Nationals, Pittsburgh, uh, Kansas City, or uh, Colorado are in that bottom group. But boy, from 13 to 21, those eight teams, and you mentioned most of them, you know, although I think Seattle's a good bit better than those, that group. But that group from, uh, you know, includes like maybe the Diamondbacks, the Orioles, um, Chicago, the Angels. It's a tough navigation to pick where those teams are going to finish this year because there's an awful lot of mediocre te- mediocre to good teams than there are bad teams. So yeah. it's going to be very interesting. Certainly quite a bit of parity, and it seems like the, the playing field yeah. has been leveled a little bit over the last year or yeah. so. So that's interesting. Now, Stan, before we let you go, um, Orioles are doing a caravan next weekend where from the 3rd through the 5th they're going to be out at different high schools, different bars for happy hours, and all sorts of things. Um, and that's replacing FanFest, which we haven't seen FanFest, I think, since 2019. The Orioles did their caravan right. back in 2020, then it got wiped out in 2021 and 2022 because of COVID and then the lockout. Um, how do you feel about the caravan? Are, are you going to be participating in any of these events? And do you like that idea better than the fan fest at the convention center where it's an all day event and people can come and go as they please? You know, maybe one day they'll, they'll get back to the intensity of interest in the team where collectively the organization will say, Hey, let's, let's bring back fan fest. I, you know, I don't know whether it'll, whether it'll happen or not. Uh, I think it puts such a stress on the, the organization, the, you know, the people that work day to day in there, the PR people and all that to coordinate that. So this, this became a, a more nimble during the pandemic, you know, uh, the second and third year of it became a more nimble, easier to put together thing. Um, and I think it serves its purpose. It gets the Orioles, you know, back on the front page of the of the sports section, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You learn about the new players, and you get to touch some hands and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's serving its purpose right now. Uh, whether they'll do something more, you know, more, you know, intense uh, a year or two from now, I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I always enjoyed Fan Fest. I thought it was cool that they gave you a tour of the um, the Orioles uh, clubhouse, and then they let you go out in the dugout and uh, see the field from field level. I always liked that, and I liked the the Q and A. But you know, that was a day that I could always set aside for myself if I needed mm-hmm. to take off work. Yep. Now it's like these are all things that are happening on the weekend, and it, it, I don't know. I, I haven't yes. taken yeah. part in it, but I was a fan of Fan Fest. I, I, so I did the caravan in mm. 2020. Um, I went to I think two events. Um, and that was great, you know. It, it was good, but the the lines were really long at the at the caravan mm-hmm. um, in both situations, and it was very crowded. It was very actually difficult to really interact a lot Navigate. of people who were there, yeah. right? Yeah. And you couldn't really figure out like what you were going to do at certain points. Fan Fest, it was all open. Yeah. Um, you know, there were so many more options for people to actually go to things, and there were so many different things you could do and see. Yeah. I think FanFest was better from the experience of, of being at both. I, I hope they I bring that back. That too. Yeah. I do, too. All right, Sam, what do you got coming up this week? Um, still waiting. I'm, I'm working with Orioles PR on something for Monday night. Uh, don't know yet who it's going to be, but uh, I've given them a list, and they told me they were going to try and help me out a couple weeks before spring training. So we had Matt Blood on last week, and we're waiting to hear who we have this week. Uh, and, uh, that's about it right now. I've got a Thursday zoom planned, but I'm also waiting for, uh, somebody to get back to me. So it's a lot of, a lot of waiting this week. Well, it's, it's that time of year, Stan, but we're only about a couple of weeks away from it starting to ramp up again. So we're really excited for that. Stan, always great talking to you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Same, same, same to you guys. Bye. See ya. Now, with Stan the Fan, Charles, who will continue to have great shows for you every week in 2023, every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball, and every Thursday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross chatted with Orioles Director of Player Development, Matt Blood. Then Stan also chatted with Maryland Lottery and Gaming Director, John Martin. Find those shows under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or pressboxonline.com slash video. And just remember, Stan and Ross will be back on Monday with another great show. And then on Thursday, Stan will be back with Gary Stein, guest to be determined for both shows. Uh, we got a little bit of time. So okay. we're going to uh, hit sounding off with Zach Goodman. Um, no sponsor for this one because we have less sponsors this time of year. So, um, Zach, what do you got for us today? Yeah, so obviously we, we heard that Scott Rowland became a Hall of Famer this mm-hmm. week. Um, and well-deserved. I, I think Scott Rowland's one of the, the all-time greats. Um, at third base. Uh, right, at third base. And, yeah. and he's a guy, I think he's the 19th third baseman to uh, to make the Hall of Fame. And that's great. And Scott Rowland deserves it. And I would have voted for him personally. Uh, but I think... Another guy who continually gets snubbed every year is Todd Helton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is because he's a first baseman. And if you look at the other first basemen in the Hall of Fame, they've maybe hit a little bit more uh, than Todd Helton has. But if you compare Helton to Roland, um, I think we can make some points here about why Todd Helton should be in the Hall of Fame. Todd Helton has nearly 500 more hits than Scott Rowland in his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're They're basically almost equal as far as home runs go. They're right over 300 both. Um, Todd Helton played great defense. He has a batting title. He was a five-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove winner. This is a guy who had over 60 war, 2,500 hits, over 300 home runs, an OPS of 955, which is almost 100 points higher than Scott Rowland's was. And obviously, Scott Rowland was was probably 
you know, given the fact that he played good defense at third base as well, and, and he was a more complete player than Helton was, I, I guess you could make that argument, especially, again, given third base and, and what the requirements are to hit there compared to first base, they're a little bit different, so I get that. So you can't really compare Roland and Helton head-to-head, but in this exercise, I think it's important to note that Helton has a lot of the numbers that are better than a lot of other guys in the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. a, a great number of guys in the Hall of Fame. Helton might eventually get in. He's at really pretty close right now. He got, I think, 72.6% mm-hmm. this year, which is, he's getting there. Um, but he still hasn't crossed that threshold, and he might eventually. But this is a guy who really deserves it, and especially if you compare him to a lot of the early 1900s guys. His war is, is double what a lot of these guys have in the Hall of Fame. So he deserves it, and, and Todd Helton should be in. So you said maybe he didn't hit as much as the other first baseman that would be in the Hall of Fame. Well, I mean, at, 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 at his peak. Right, and we'll, we're talking a six-year stretch. No, he was from, cr- he, incredible. He, he was very good his entire career, but you're yeah. talking a six-year stretch from 1999 to 2004. Over those six seasons, yeah. he slashed 344, yep. 441, 633. Yeah. That's a 1075 OPS and a 154 OPS plus. His average season was 196, 158 games, 196 hits, 48 yep. doubles, 37 home runs, 121 RBIs. Tell me a first baseman that's average better than that. Yeah, and I, so you can't. I think if I clarify my point, he is, from what the stats say, more of an on-base guy overall than a power guy. And I think that's kind of the opposite of a lot of the first basemen out there because he didn't have 500 home runs, 450. Um, I think Fred McGriff still had, what, 100 more home runs than, than Todd Helton did Fred, at the end Fred of the day? Fred McGriff played more seasons and Fred, than but, Todd Helton. But Fred McGriff just got in, and that's part of my point. It's a little bit harder for first basemen, too. Um, and you look at, of course, like Jeff Bagwell and and some of the other greats around you know that same time period. Steroids obviously played a part in that. But I just think it's a little bit harder for first baseman to get in overall. No, I, I, I understand that. I'm trying to, f- to find... Oh, here it is. Here it is. And a lot of people say that the reason he's not in is because of what he did at Coors as opposed to in, in I, Colorado. At, look... At home, yes, he slashed 345, 441, 607 with a 1048 yeah. uh, OPS in his career. Away, he slashed 287, 386, 469 with 855. Exceptional. He's still yeah. exceptional. So if a, we, a career OPS away from Coors Field of 855 is better than 95% of baseball right. players for their careers. No doubt. He's. Todd Helton's a Hall of Famer. So if we look He's at and, and compare him to Fred McGriff, who just got in, and McGriff got in on the 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 the, the, the I'm trying to remember what it's called exactly. He was it, vote- it was like the, the competitive era committee. Yes, or exactly. Or so. exactly. I, I, I don't say exactly. I don't. I, I don't think that's exactly what it's called, but something close to that. It, so it's not the normal vote. Um, right. That he, it, he, had, he he fell off the ballot, right. and they had uh, uh, people with that aren't baseball writers had to come in and be like, exactly. this dude's a freaking Hall of Famer. Right. He's in. So Fred McGriff, and, and kind of just illustrating my point here of why I think Todd Helton may not be, is Fred McGriff had 493 home runs. Uh, Todd Helton had significantly... 369. Oh, oh, 369. So significantly less than that, over 100 less. I think the maybe the lack of home runs is the the overall reason for that, and mm-hmm. and because first basemen are so expected to do that. I mean, you look at Miguel Cabrera; he's well over five hundred. Albert Pujols, guys like this, who are the, I guess the de facto Hall of Famers you think of when you think of first basemen, um, are the guys that are putting up five hundred plus. Did you home say runs. Vlad Guerrero? No, no, no. I said I said uh, Miguel Cabrera, and um, who was the other one? I said I said. 
I'm blanking on. Oh, I, thought, Albert, I said Albert Pujols. I said oh, Pujols oh, okay. and Cabrera. We said Cabrera. I, I think I, I must have yeah. heard Guerrero. Um, but no, look, look. The thing about Todd Helton that's that's hurt him is one, he played his home games in Colorado. Yeah. But we've just proven that that didn't matter. It, he was significantly better right. in Colorado. But you don't hit 345 by mistake. And I think a lot of guys are better at home. So you can, yeah, obviously Colorado helps. but Right, but, but you, don't, you don't hit 345 because, just because of altitude, no. right? No. Like the ball, the ball goes a bit further, but you still have to have elite yep. bat-to-ball skills to hit 345. You, you, you still have to. Yep. And then on top of that, uh, the other thing that hurts him is the numbers that he was putting up over that, I mean, in 2000, uh, he had to have been MVP. In, he didn't win the MVP in 2000. Listen to his 2000 stat I line. saw this. It's, it's incredible. He, 216 hits. 59 doubles. 59 doubles. It's a lot. 42 home runs. 147 RBIs. And um, uh, th- a 372 batting average. Four, he led the league in bat in. The entire slash line, he led the league. Yep. Led the league in RBIs, led the league in doubles, led the league in hits, and finished fifth in MVP voting. The reason that he gets overlooked is because he did in the heart of the steroid era. Well, I was going to say, I'm going I'm to pull up the other the four guys who finished ahead of him. So, uh, he finished behind Jeff Kent, Barry Bonds, Mike Piazza, and Jim Edmonds. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jeff Kent won the MVP this year, that year? Jeff Kent did. Oh, Todd Helton was so far and away better than him. He was. He was better than... Significantly better. Um, He was significantly better than every guy on that list. Yeah. And, I mean, Barry Bonds isn't... I mean, the guys ahead of him were insanely good players, but his numbers blew all of them out of the water that year. The only only person that hit more home runs was Barry Bonds. Nobody drove in more runs. Barry Bonds walked more, but nobody had more hits. Nobody had more doubles. Nobody had more RBIs. Nobody uh, had a better slash line. Todd Helton's a Hall of Fame player. He's a Hall of Fame player... And look, we've seen it in the past. If the if the Baseball Writers Association of America doesn't get it right, the players that, that he'll get in the, the committee, whatever committee it has to be, will get it right. Todd Helton's getting in, the, and you said he was at like seventy two percent. You need seventy five percent to right. get in. Todd Helton is going to be He's in the close. Hall of Fame. It, I, I look at him the same way I look at I looked at Fred. McGregor. I think he missed by about five ballots. I believe it was it was like somewhere in the range of five to ten ballots. So he's very close, and eventually he will get in because people realize that that Todd Helton had an incredible career, and may, and maybe there was a stretch that was a little bit hotter than others. But if you look at the entire career in its entirety, a nine fifty entire career, the entire career, entire, yeah, that wasn't well worded. But the nine fifty five OPS over his career proves how good Todd Helton was. Colorado or not, this guy's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he he. Had Absolutely. Look, we got to catch a break. I want to remind you that the bat around is brought to you by the offers at PressBoxOnline.com are giving you, you can cash in on the AFC and NFC championship games. Simply go to uh, PressBoxOnline.com slash offers, sign up with BetMGM, bet $10 and automatically get $200 in additional free bets. Get this promo and more. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers now for over $2,000 in promo offers from all on the Maryland Mobile Sportsbooks. When we come back, Orioles' latest, newest uh, beat writer for the Baltimore Sun, Jacob Meyer, joins the program. That's next on The Battle Round. 
It's the perfect time to sign the young basketball fan in your life up for a membership in the Retriever Kids Club. It includes free youth admission to all regular season UMBC home games, plus a t-shirt and a drawstring backpack. Membership is only $35. It makes a great gift. Visit umbcretrievers.com slash kidsclub for more info. Membership is available for kids 12 and under in the Retriever Kids Club. Again, umbcretrievers.com slash kidsclub. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our annual Best of Issue. On the cover, we recognize Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman as our 2022 Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, and he sits down with us to discuss how his arrival in Baltimore was simultaneous with the Birds' turnaround. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the year throughout the local sports scene. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich, hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point Boulevard. Welcome back to the Batter Round. A uh, really great show today, rolling right along here. Joining us now, he is the newest beat writer for the Baltimore Sun for the Baltimore Orioles. He is Jacob Meyer, and he's live now on the Batter Round. Jacob, good morning. It's Paul. It's Zach. How are you today? Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Zach. I'm great. How are you guys? We're doing really well. We're getting excited for the, uh, for the Orioles season. Just about two weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting to Sarasota for spring training. And before we get into that, Jacob, um, why don't you introduce yourselves to our listeners, to the Baltimore area? Um, where did you get your start? How did you come about working for the Baltimore Sun? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me on. I do have to say I was listening before I I got on and, and you guys were talking about Todd Helton in the 2000 season. This is a quick opportunity for me to talk about Nick Marcakis' 2008 season mm-hmm. where he led the American League and, and wins above replacement uh, but received zero MVP votes. Yeah, it wasn't to, an all-star. Get... Yeah, it was, yeah, I mean, when you go back and look at it, nobody really stood out in the AL that year. Mark Teixeira came over from Atlanta and he, you know, he had a pretty good season. Dustin Pedroia ended up winning it, but um, just had to get that one out there. So, yeah, about myself. Um, 
I've had a pretty kind of long and windy road to get where I am. I'm, I'm obviously very excited to, to be here at the Sun. Um, grew up in Howard County, went to Mount Haven High School, anybody who's familiar. Uh, went out to college at a small school in western Pennsylvania, and then my first two jobs uh, out of college after I graduated in 2017 were out in PA. Uh, and then I got a job uh, at the Sun uh, covering Howard County sports and, and news during the pandemic. I was covering the billion-dollar school system. Um, over here in Howard County. And then um, uh, in October of 21, I got a job at the Washington Times to cover some of the pro teams in Washington, D.C., mostly the, the Capitals and the, and the Nationals. Uh, and then here I am at the Sun covering the O's. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah, we're, we're, we're happy to have you here. Happy to have another another uh, face, another name to talk to and uh, to read your work covering the Orioles. The more, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Um, look, the Orioles, they're making uh, making some some splashes. And we've said a few times on this show in the past that none of the Orioles' acquisitions in this offseason are splashy. They're, they're not going to blow you away individually, but it's more a, a whole is greater than some of the parts situation. And they made another one of those moves, acquiring Cole Irvin the other day in exchange for Daryl Hernase. Um, what are your thoughts on the trade on the, the Orioles acquiring a solid left-handed pitcher for their rotation? Uh, how good was this trade for the Orioles? And how uh, what did, how does it speak to Mike Elias that he was able to get a legitimate starting pitcher and a pretty decent pitching prospect in the minor leagues for a guy who basically was their sixth best infield prospect. Right. Yeah. Well, starting with Hernandez, right. He's, he's a good prospect and, and mm -hmm. in the A system now he's their second best uh, shortstop prospect. And so, um, you know, I, I think when you're, when you've got a log jam with infield prospects, like the Orioles have, um, you know, it makes it maybe a little bit easier to do a deal like this um, for urban you know, he's, he's somebody where you look at the rotation now and uh, they have a lot of options to choose from. I think that's going to be one of the biggest storylines during spring training and how they sort out that rotation now that they've got a good amount of options. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that stands out with, with Cole Irvin is the fact that similar to, to what Jordan Lyles was last season and, and maybe what they're expecting from Kyle Gibson as well is that he's, he's somebody who has that experience of being sort of an inning beater and a strike thrower um, you know, he was pitching in a, in a pitcher friendly park over there in the Oakland Coliseum. And if you look at his home road splits, um, it kind of shows that, but now, you know, Camden Yards is a, is a pitcher friendly park. And, um, so that, that could benefit Irvin like it has all of the Orioles pitchers, um, last season. And so I, I think when you look at the trade, he's somebody who's going to give, um, just some stability to the rotation. Sure. Um, I think things will get even more interesting when John Means returns sometime in the middle of the season, right? To start the year, Irvin's going to be most likely the only left-handed starting pitcher in the rotation. When Means comes back and if he's healthy, I think that could change some things. And, uh, but it definitely adds some depth and it adds some experience um, to that rotation. Yeah, it's, it's a move that... Look, I, I, I may have been alone in this, but I didn't want the Orioles to go out and sign on Michael Walker because uh, prior to last year, he hadn't done it. This is a, they, 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 He hadn't done it for about three or four years. They got a guy who has posted up, made uh, 62 starts over the last two years. He's pitched to about a four ERA over those two years and thrown a lot of innings. This is a guy who comes in and helps your rotation, helps your bullpen, and just makes your team better in general. But now you look at the rotation, Jacob, and you have... Four slots that are filled. You have Gibson, Irvin, Bradish, and Kramer. You you have to imagine all four of those guys are locks for the rotation. So you really have 
a ton of names, including Grayson Rodriguez, uh, battling it out for that fifth spot in the rotation. What is Grayson Rodriguez's immediate future with the Baltimore Orioles? Is there a chance that he even goes back to Norfolk to ramp up for the season uh, instead of having a shot at that rotation? Or do you think that when Mike Elias said, we expect him to be part of our opening day rotation or part of our opening day roster, that that still holds true? Right. I, that's, again, going to be a big question going into spring training. Um, obviously, first week on the job, I can't speak to, to, to you know any knowledge sure. of uh, that stuff. But what I will say is um, I think at, at this point, right before spring training, I, I think people have to take Michael Elias at his word and, mm-hmm. and that the goal is to have Grayson Rodriguez in the starting rotation to begin the season. Um, he's obviously going to have an innings limit. Um, Michael Elias said on uh, 105.7 The Fan, I think, last week, that innings limits for, for Rodriguez and John Means when he come, comes back and, and B.L. Hall and maybe a couple other guys, they're not going to be hard and fast. But at the same time, the O's don't want to be maybe in a situation like the 2012 Nationals were with Steven Strasburg right. where they get to August or September and, you know, they have to shut Grayson Rodriguez down. And so, um, you know, you could look at the Cole Irvin train and, and say that it gives them the opportunity to ease Grayson Rodriguez in a little bit more, whether that's starting him in AAA or, or making, you know, his first few starts in April, you know, be even shorter than normal. Um, but I don't know that anybody can say that, you know, confidently at this point. They also have the option of, of starting the season with a six-man rotation. I don't know how likely that is, but when you have uh, a combination of, of this many options to start um, and a few guys who, who may be on innings limits, I think, um, you know, that could be an option if everybody, of course, makes it out of spring training um, healthy. That's the other part here that, um, you know, you just never know what's going to happen in spring training um, in terms of, of everybody's health. And you took the next question right out of my mouth. I was going to ask, do you think that the Orioles could and should implement a six-man rotation? The, the idea certainly is intriguing because Grayson, like you said, is going to be on an innings limit. Same thing with Tyler Wells and D.L. Hall and uh, John Means when he comes back. And it, it would certainly give you the opportunity to start the five guys who can give you the most innings. And that sixth time through, that, that sixth day, maybe Grayson and Tyler Wells piggyback. Or maybe Grayson and—I think you'd keep Grayson Rodriguez on a starter's routine— but then the guys like Tyler Wells and Austin Voth, who we know are going to be on this roster barring uh, any health issues, uh, it, ge- it gives you an opportunity to kind of use them in roles that they're better suited for. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Now, the guys that are going to be p- playing behind this starting rotation, Jacob, are Gunnar Henderson, Jorge Mateo, Kyle Frazier, uh, Kyle Frazier um, uh, Adam Frazier, and uh, Ryan Mountcastle as your starting infield. And the one name missing from that starting infield is Ramon Arias, who, oh, by the way, just won a gold glove at third base. What are the Orioles going to do with that starting infield in your, or what do you think that they would could foreseeably do um, with that infield rotation? How do you get Ramon Arias playing time? Because he certainly deserves to be out there almost every day. Right, yeah, that's, again, a challenge. I think when you look at the Orioles' 40-man rotation, almost at every single spot, probably except for, you know, Adley Rutschman and, and um, a couple outfield, outfield spots, there's a lot of decisions to make that are difficult, and there's also a ton of versatility. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, that's, that's a great thing on one hand to have that versatility, but it also creates some difficult decisions. When you look at the infield, I think when you, because almost every single one of the infielders, you know, Henderson, Mateo, uh, Urias, all of those guys can play multiple positions, I think it gives 
you know, manager Brandon Hyde a, a good opportunity to kind of mix and match, right? If, if Adam Frazier needs an all day at second base, you can put Urias there. If, if Adam Frazier can also play the outfield, so if something, if, if somebody goes down in the outfield or an outfielder needs an off day, he can go out there and then, you know, Ramon can, can go play second base or, um, you know, Mateo has an off day, Gunnar Henderson moves over to short and then Urias plays third. And so, you know, it's, it is weird to, maybe to have a guy win a gold glove um, and then not quote unquote be a starter the following season mm-hmm. that remains to be seen. But I, I think when you look at this infield, um, you know, you, you have so much versatility that um, I don't know if it's going to be too, too much of a concern where you've got a, a guy that maybe you want to play who's just on your bench um, every single day. And, and also, you know, spring training is going to matter for the two. I, I know I mentioned it with, with health, but also, also just, you know, if, if Ramon Arias comes out and, and plays great in spring training, you know, that's going to help him, you know, get, get more playing time. You look at these guys, and just about any team in baseball would have a hard time justifying moving your gold glove third baseman to more of a utility role, even though you would expect Arias would still probably get four, five starts a week at different positions. And, and I look at this, and I look at specifically he and Jorge Mateo, and I think the Orioles are are, are more than likely done adding to this roster at this point. But do you see them potentially trading one of those or both of those guys um, to maybe get another bat for the middle of the order before the season starts, maybe get another another arm? Do you see this team as it currently stands, being the team as it currently stands, uh, again, barring injury, uh, you know, eight weeks from now? <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think that the difficulty with trading for a, a major leaguer, um, especially uh, a position player, is, and I think... Mike Elias has spoke to this is uh, there are a lot of teams going into the season that, um, you know, want to compete or think that they are potential competitors Mm -hmm. and they don't, they're not really in a sell position at the moment. And so if you're going to get a major league infielder, um, you know, you're going to have to give up somebody and um, you know, that's, that's the challenge there. And when you look at Mateo and and Urias and um, you know, those are two guys who obviously get a lot of their value from their glove. Um, you know, you mentioned the, you know, kind of the weirdness of, of having uh, a player win a gold glove and then, you know, kind of be moved into a utility role the following season. But, you know, with Mateo, he was a guy that obviously didn't didn't win the gold glove, but he won the Fielding Bible uh, Award uh, because of how great he was at shortstop. And, you know, his playing time may decrease this season if, if Gunnar Henderson plays a little bit more shortstop or uh, if some of these other prospects start to come up yeah. um, this season or even next season. And so... Um, you know, it's nice to have all the, the kind of the, the talent on the roster and the versatility and, and really good defenders, and um, but it does create some difficult decisions for sure. Jacob, I'm curious. When you look at this infield, you're, you got rid of uh, Rignano Dor, and now you're looking at some more guys like Adam Frazier joining the group, and Gunnar Henderson's obviously going to have that full season. Do you think they're going to miss the, the leadership of Rignano Dor and what he brought to the team, all of that fire, all of that energy? Is that being replaced by anyone they've brought in, or do you see one of the young guys like Gunnar Henderson kind of providing that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I think in terms of the leadership aspect, um, I think that's where their moves this offseason have been most interesting because, um, you know, out the door went Lyles and Odor, um, and, and in came Adam Frazier and, and Kyle Gibson um, and McCann, right? And so I think when you look at the leadership, you know, those, those are three guys who have been around the league. They've been at multiple different stops. They've all had varying levels of success. And so I, I think the leadership, that, that's kind of a, a big part of those moves. 
when you look at the, you know, the rah-rah aspect of Odor, you know, there's a lot of young guys on the team. And so um, my guess is that they probably won't be too short on, on some of that energy, some of that hype, um, you know, of course, if things are going well. There's certainly a ton of reason to be excited about the ball club. They have more depth now than I ever remember them having in the past. You look at the lineups that Brandon High would post on day games after night games and on Sundays and how he would be taking starting pitchers out after you know five and a third despite them cruising with low pitch counts, etc. And it looks like the depth on this team is going to make that less of an issue if it if not fully take that issue away in 2023 and with that in mind the Orioles on paper Jacob are better today than they were when the season ended maybe by a good bit are they good enough to be a playoff team in 2023 yeah that's that's the million dollar question isn't it I, I think obviously playing playing in the division that they do is you know makes that you know a big challenge um, you know if you follow the, the same trajectory uh when elias was was in houston um i believe when the astros had that that surprise season i think they made the wild card the following season they missed the playoffs now that you know for a lot of Orioles fans hopefully that's not foreshadowing but you know i think when you look at this the Orioles payroll is still near the bottom of the league and, and there's you know multiple reasons for that and uh they don't have some of these things especially a top line starting pitcher that most of the other teams that are competing for playoff spots do and so those are some challenges that they'll have to fight through. But at the same time, these other teams don't have um, a potential combination of, of Adley Rutschman and, and, and Gunnar Henderson, two, two young guys who both project to be superstars. One has already played at that level last season in Rutschman. And so, um, you know, it's, it's easy to say they're better, you know, they, they're better on paper this season than last season. Another thing to note about last season is, you know, while every team has injuries, the Orioles were one of the healthier teams in, in baseball. And so, um, you know, again, that, that's a big uh, aspect of this, too. And, and that, that goes to the importance of having the depth that they do on this roster where, you know, if a few guys go down, probably, frankly, aside from Adley Rutschman, um, you know, they, they'll, they'll probably be fine in most of the spots uh, because of the depth on the roster. And so uh, those are some aspects to look at. Whether or not this is a, a team good enough to make the playoffs, that, that remains to be seen. But playing in the division that they do makes things you know, that much more challenging for sure. It certainly does. And when, when you stop and you think about the team and their chances of competing, it always comes back to the, the big elephant in the room. And that's that they play in the toughest division in baseball. So it's, it's going to be a struggle no matter what, but it's also going to be exciting and it's going to be fun. Jacob, we've had a great time getting to know you here. Welcome to the Baltimore sun. Glad you get to cover the Orioles. And uh, before we let you go, what can we plug for you? Is there anything you want to share with our, with our listeners? Yeah, just just uh, my Twitter account. You know, follow me at J Calvin Meyer um, on Twitter, and and you can follow my my stuff there. And I'm excited to 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 be on the beat. And uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Jacob. We look forward to talking to you throughout the season. Good luck to you in your first year covering the team. We'll talk to you down the line. Thanks, Ted. And that was Jacob Meyer, the Orioles' newest beat writer for the Baltimore Sun, joining us on the program. Uh, a, a lot of insight uh, there as to what could be going on with the Orioles. And the important thing that he talked about um, is the depth yeah. of this team. And w- when we uh, when we come back from our break, we're going to get into Orioles banter, and we're going to talk about that depth and it just just how much better it's going to make this ball club moving forward. Before we do that, I want to remind you, that today's show is brought to you by 
Press Box is Glenn Clark Radio, which is the definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. Watch the show every weekday from 10 to noon at youtube.com slash pressboxonline or facebook.com slash pressboxsports or listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio with podcasts available on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Folks, you never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Trey Mancini, ESPN NFL insider Jeremy Fowler, and Rutgers basketball star and boys Latin alum Cam Spencer. You can find those interviews and more right now in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at pressboxonline.com. When we come back, Orioles banter and more. That's next on The Bat Around. The Baltimore County Police Department is hiring. Entry-level officers started over $60,000 and over $64,000 for lateral officers with $10,000 signing bonuses available. Plus, cadets started over $32,000. Great benefits are available like medical, dental, and vision insurance, tuition reimbursement, 15 sick days per calendar year with no limit, career advancement to more than 20 specialized units, and more with further incentives for military service members and veterans. A passion for service, a career for life, with the Baltimore County Police Department. Find out more at joinbaltimorecountypd.com or call 410-887-5542. Must be a United States citizen, have a valid driver's license and a high school diploma or GED equivalent. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has up their game. They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food. 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn over 4100 North Point Boulevard. Looking for some excitement in the new year? Laurel Park has plenty of live horse racing events to spice things up this January. The much-anticipated winter meet kicks off on January 1st, plus we've got special MLK Holiday Racing on Monday, January 16th, and the Winter Carnival Stakes on Saturday, January 21st. Winter may be cold, but the racing at Laurel Park is hot. Learn more about upcoming January events by visiting laurelpark.com. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. It's the perfect time to sign the young basketball fan in your life up for a membership in the Retriever Kids Club. It includes free youth admission to all regular season UMBC home games, plus a t-shirt and a drawstring backpack. Membership is only $35. It makes a great gift. Visit umbcretrievers.com slash kids club for more info. Membership is available for kids 12 and under in the Retriever Kids Club. Again, umbcretrievers.com slash kids club. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Bat Around. Nice show so far today. Uh, and look, we've been offering you tons of ways to make money and get free money uh, from all these betting websites, but we want you to do it responsibly. We want, we want to remind you that while gambling can be fun, you should set a limit and stay within it. <clears throat> and remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, simply call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. That's helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services 
back now on the batter round, well into the eleven o'clock hour. Uh, and now we're, we're gonna we're gonna get into Orioles banter here, and we're gonna talk. I was really I was originally going to talk just about the rotation, but we have a little bit more time than usual today to, to talk about some stuff. So we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about the Orioles roster as a whole and how deep it truly is. Um, so I, I want to start with that because uh, Jacob Meyer was just talking about the depth that the Orioles have, and you remember last year, while it was nice to have a lineup every day of. Cedric Mullins, Ryan Mountcastle, Anthony Santander, Adley Rutschman, Austin Hayes, um, and Jorge Mateo and Ramon Arias. On Sundays or on Wednesday day games, you were getting Ruth Nettodor, and you were who played over 130 games. I think he played like 137 yeah, he games last year, and you were getting Ruth Nettodor and Robinson Chirinos and Tyler Nevin, and for a little oh. bit there, you were getting um, what, what's the dude's name, Phillips. What was his first name? Oh, Brett Phillips. Brett Brett Phillips. And and at one point, they had a lineup, and I was at this game. It was irritating. They they lost this game. I think it was a game against the Pittsburgh Pirates where it was like, that was the beginning of their final 54-game stretch. They had won the first two games of the series, and it would have really been a benefit to them to sweep that series. And and Mike, uh, Mike, my brain's like only half-functioning today for some reason. And Brandon High trots out a lineup of Robinson Chirinos, uh, Brett Phillips and Roof Nettodor. And I think Tyler Nevin was in that lineup too. It was the ultimate punt lineup. I yeah, think McKenna might have been in there too. <clears throat> yeah, it, it, he was. Yeah. He was. I went to that game. The Orioles lost that game something like 12, 8 to nothing. It was. So, so, something like that. And I think Odor started the third base. Like, Sounds, and, I, I think you're right. After saying he wasn't comfortable playing third base, and then he started the third base, and he made a costly error that cost them uh, like four runs. But anyway, um, we're at a point now where you look at this team and on any given day you expect their starting lineup to be they're, they're starting they're in no particular order uh Rutschman behind the plate Mountcastle at first Adam Frazier at second Mateo at third um then you would have um a Gunnar Henderson at um Third base and Mateo at shortstop, and either Hayes or Stowers in left field, Mullins in center, Santander in right, and then right. Some, somebody DHing. But if you have a day game after a night game, you're still getting Ramon Arias. You're yeah. getting the other half of Hayes and Stowers. You're getting uh, uh, McCann behind the right. plate. You're not really losing anything. No. You're, well, you're, with McCann, you are, but. Yeah, but, but we're talking specifically from a lineup standpoint and yes Rutschman's a better player all around he's a better hitter he's a better defensive player but James McCann is no slouch you know what I mean he's far better than Robinson Chirinos you know if you see a lineup and James McCann is is your starting catcher you're like this guy has a good chance to run into one he can drive the ball into the gaps he's a good player well if he hits under the Mendoza line this year I don't uh, think he's going he did last year but I think there is a a lot of analytics and and a lot of numbers in in his peripherals that say he's going to come back and be Mm -hmm. what he was closer to 2019-2020 which Mm -hmm. were significantly better years for him than those two last Mets years where he just really struggled so yeah I mean if he can come back and and prove that he is not the same player he was with the Mets then they're going to have a solid player in their hands that they can Really feel confident in backing up Rutschman every day. Yeah, you you're not going to look at a lineup and be like, oh, we have no chance of winning this game. Yeah. You're gonna you feel like you're going to be in every game with the yeah. depth that this team has. And as uh, Jacob mentioned in our last segment, if somebody gets hurt, there's somebody there yeah. 
to take the spot. Exactly. You know, if if Adam Frazier gets hurt, you can start Ramona Rios. Right. If Jorge Mateo gets hurt, you move Gunner over the shortstop and you you start Arias at third base, or you can bring up Joey Ortiz or, or Vavra or any or, of these guys. Right. Yeah. You you have yeah. a ton of depth on this team now, and maybe more depth than we've ever seen, at least over the last two decades. Yeah. Because I, I look at it, and I was looking at um, the Orioles' rosters from 2012 through 2017. And in every year during that six-season stretch, except for 2016, the Orioles had at least four guys in their lineup yeah. that played 146 games or more. And in 2013, they had seven guys who played 146 games or more in their lineup. Uh, so even though those teams were very good, um, even 2017 team was good until it, it wasn't. Um, while those teams were very good, the depth that they had wasn't what this team currently has because you had so many guys that you were counting on to post up for 145 to 162 games every year, and they did. Now it's, if, the, if this guy can't, well, now we have this guy who might be right. just as good. Well, I think they, they saw that when, when Manny Machado got injured um, in the playoffs and Ryan Flaherty to take a spot at third mm-hmm. base. And, yeah, Ryan Flaherty is fine, but is he an everyday player that can take the place of Manny Machado? No. I think Ramon Arias is a guy who can easily take the place of Mateo um, and probably Gunnar Henderson, too. I mean, we forget that, that Ramon was a three-and-a-half-war player last year. Ramon, mm-hmm. in, in his own right, is a, is, is a very solid player at the plate and, and uh, obviously defensively. He's now a gold-glove winner. So... They have the depth, and I think that's, you know, you kind of look at what Mike Elias has done, and you talked about it earlier with uh, the trades that he's made and, and how much, you know, credit has to go to him, but he's consistently built depth across the board at every level of the organization, and each trade he makes, he continues to add to depth. You know, you lose Daryl Hernays, but you get in Verbitsky and add more depth to the pitching, uh, the pitching prospects in the organization. So they've certainly done a good job just to, to continually add depth and make sure they have pieces where they need them. And like you said, this is probably the best team we're looking at in seven or eight years because of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, a- absolutely. And then, and then you move over to the starting rotation. And they bring in Kyle Gibson. They bring in yep. Cole Irvin. You've got four spots locked down in Gibson, yep. Irvin, Bradish, and Kramer. And now it's like, who's going to win that fifth spot? Yeah. And, and the more I think about it, it still very likely could be Grayson Rodriguez. Could be. Because at the beginning of the year, and we know this, you're starting pitching. Brandon Hyde's not going to let his starting pitchers go deep in the games at the beginning of the year. It, 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 he's just not. Right. You know, and one of my biggest gripes with him last year was he was still managing in July, August, and September like it was April and May. He yep. was still he was still taking these guys out at five and the third innings pitched and 71 pitches, yeah. uh, despite the fact that they're cruising. I remember a number of times with uh, both and Kramer specifically. Uh, so, but this year... If he does that, you have the depth. You have right. uh, the more I think about it, the more it's like, all right, I still think Grayson Rodriguez gets that fifth spot, and now you have Tyler Wells and Austin Voth, who because because you don't want Grayson going five, six, seven innings to start the year, that's where Wells and Voth come in. Yeah. If if um I don't know if Dean Kramer gets through five innings. But he's thrown a hundred and a hundred pitches or eighty-seven pitches in those five innings. You can bring in one of those guys, and that kind of bridges the gap. The Orioles' bullpen, when you think that they have potentially two long men in Wells and Voth, and then you look at the back end where it's Givens and uh, CNL Perez and Brian Baker and Dylan Tate and Felix Bautista. You look at that and you say 
this bullpen is incredibly deep, and yeah. they low-key might be one of the best units in all of baseball. The bullpen is up there. I mean, outside of the starting rotation, or I shouldn't say outside, but including the starting rotation, including the, the lineup, and including the bullpen, I would have to say out of the three units, the, the bullpen is significantly the best. And mm-hmm. it showed that last year. And You look at the back end, like you said, with Bautista, Perez, those guys were basically... For the most part, lights out last year. You you really expected them to come in and shut the uh, the opposing team down whenever they were in. So, and I think it's important you mention the the versatility of Voth and Wells, and that's really important because those are guys that can make a start when you need them to. Um, you know, say Grayson went four innings, got roughed up in his last start. You know, this time you let you let Voth go out there and get those four innings. You let Wells mm-hmm. go out there and get those four innings, and you move Grayson into a little bit of a relief role. You have versatility, and it's nice because those guys haven't been starters for their entire career, and they can have that. Uh, you know, the ability to move back in and out of the bullpen. I think that's really going to help them out. And you don't necessarily have implement a six-man rotation, but you have opportunities throughout the season where, where you can say, all right, we want to give Grayson an extra day, so we're going to start exactly. both today. And then right. you have you have guys like Bruce Zimmerman and uh, Spencer Watkins who can step in whenever. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they they can come up in, in a pinch if there's an injury. It's what like what you alluded to earlier in the program. What Stan's been saying all along is that he was talking to a GM down in Florida a few years back, and he said, "I want 10, 11 legitimate rotation options." And you look at what the Orioles' rotation is going to be. There's not one person that you're going to see in that starting rotation where you're like, oh, why is this guy starting right. for us? And then you look at the minor leagues, you look at AAA, and you have guys up and down that rotation that either have big league experience or deserve to have big league experience. They're going to be in that rotation. Norfolk's going to be really good yeah. this year, yeah. at least to start the year until we, we you know ravage them of all their players. <laughs> but it's it's a great problem to have. It's You look at this team and... You know what? We do this every year. I've been doing this my whole life. I've been doing this my whole life where I look at an Orioles roster, I look at a team, and I find a way to convince myself that this team's going to be really, really good. It was a lot harder to do it from 1998 to... Well, well, 1998 and 1999, they had good rosters. They just had a lot of injuries. But from 2000 to 2011, it was a lot harder to do. 2012 to 2017, even to 2018, you could convince yourself oh, this yeah. team can compete for, I, for a I convinced myself in 18. Yeah. I, I, we I all said, did. Right. I mean, Alex Cobb, Andrew Kashner came in. You thought, they okay. They brought Tillman back, and they, they were telling us that he was back to his, yeah. his old self, and he wasn't. No. You know, and the, the lineup was still the same. You still had Adam Jones and Chris Davis and Manny Machado, yep. Matt Wieters. You still had all those guys, and you're like, all right. There was reason to believe. Right. There was, reason, there was legitimate reason to believe they would be a – 85 win team mm, and but they, they were <laughs> a 47 by the way can I bring up one guy that we haven't talked about at all and I, I don't think we've mentioned him on the show for like two months three months Keegan Aiken still exists as a guy who's made a lot of starts um, and who had relevant success as a long man last year and I, I think he's kind of relevant to this conversation because he's again another one of those guys who can really step in a, in a starting role when they have to um, mm-hmm. that's probably not where you want to use him but what are your thoughts on Aiken this year does he have a spot uh, Keegan Aiken you know he's he's a former second round pick out of a good baseball school yep. which is Xavier and he um, at one point he was the Orioles minor league pitcher of the year yep. had a lot of minor league success and he looked really good in a short stint in 2020 um, really struggled in 2021, yep. and then towards the end of the year, he kind of had some starts where you're like, "Oh yeah, that's the guy." You're like you remember, he took a no hitter 
into he the did seventh do that, inning yeah. of a seven inning game in a doubleheader, and then the Orioles proceeded to give up eleven runs in that inning. Yeah. And they they were winning that game three to nothing when he when they started the seventh inning. They needed three outs. They gave up eleven runs. Yeah. Eleven runs. Um, <clears throat> Keegan Aiken. I don't know, man. I, I I don't know because you look at well. Let's let's look at the um, at the pitching staff, right? So you're you right off the bat, you know that you're getting because you're gonna have 13 pitchers and 13 position players. Right off the bat, you know you're getting Irvin, Gibson, yep. uh, Kramer, Bradish, Wells, Voth. Yep. Then you're getting um, Felix Bautista, CNL Perez, Dylan Tate, um, Michael Gibbons. Michael Givens. Brian Baker. Um, I'm gonna help you out here. Uh, who are we missing? Probably Deal. Possibly Deal Halls. I think. Is, is I think he's. Star- I think he's starting the year in in um, in Norfolk as in the in the starting rotation for Norfolk. So right now that's that's 11 pitchers. Yeah. That I've named, and you have. Two I mean spots, y- and that's before you name Grayson Rodriguez. So that's 12. Logan Gillespie's another guy who got a lot of time last year. Logan um, Gillespie, Nick Nick Vespi. The, the, yeah. Honestly, the reason I think the reason that we don't talk about Keegan Aiken is because he was really good the first five six weeks of the year, and then he would come in, and even though the ERA wasn't impacted too much, um, because he he let a lot of inherited runners score after those first five six seven weeks of the season last year, and he also gave up a lot more home runs. Yeah. And there were times when he was really good, and the, the, especially at the beginning of the year, the the, the control was impeccable. It was. They were, they, you'd see him go out there, he'd get three outs on 18 pitches and only throw four balls. Yeah. He did that a number of times. I remember my dad even remarking about that, being like, this guy's incredible. He threw 21 pitches and 19 of them were strikes. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I think for Keegan Aiken, he was valuable to the team, mm-hmm. uh, and he can start or he can relieve, but I think for him it's an uphill battle because I think there's a, the, yeah. the, the Orioles legitimately have... 11, 12, 13 guys who can make a claim to be in this rota- in this rotation and bullpen before you even think about Keegan Aiken. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those situations where numbers don't really tell the whole story. Like, if, if you look at his season, he had a 320 ERA. He mm-hmm. had a uh, 190 whip. He had, and he was striking out 8.5 guys in nine. I mean, those are good numbers, all right. of them. Uh, but when you look at a few of those relief appearances he had, kind of in that middle to late part of the season, like the July-August uh, part of the season, he was horrible. Yeah. He, he was For about a two-month stretch, maybe a little bit more, he was basically the most hittable pitcher in the Orioles' entire system. The guy couldn't catch a break. And I think that inconsistency and what he was able to do you know, in May wasn't really the same as what he was doing in the end of the year. So I, I think that part and the inconsistency of him is going to be the biggest struggle for him. And like you said, there's already a bunch of other guys who kind of have a leg up on him. And he almost becomes forgotten. Like I, I didn't really think of Keegan Aiken as, as a part of this bullpen and certainly not as one of the, the main long men until right now when I'm looking through the depth chart and I see the uh, the 5'11 guy that's like 250 pounds that should probably throw a lot harder than he does, a soft tosser with control. He's an interesting package all the way around. And you know he can probably help them in, in, some, uh, in some cases. I, I, I certainly hope he can, but I, I definitely think right now he's on the outside looking at it. Well, and the thing about Keegan Aiken, so in the first half of the season last year, in yeah. 24 games covering 53 and a third innings, he was 1-1 one one with a 236 ERA. Yeah. The second half of the season, 2-2 two and two with a 476 ERA yeah. in 28 in the third innings over covering 21 games, he gave up more hits and more runs yeah. 
in those 28 in the third innings than he gave up in the previous 53 in the third innings. And I would have to think there's room to add velocity for him, right? I mean, when you have a guy, look at Bautista and the the way he's built. Keegan Aiken's built in a similar way where you have that ability to throw you know, as, as hard as possible. And obviously, he's not as as tall, but I think if Aiken was maybe able to add a little bit of velocity to him, he could really improve his chances, improve his stock. I mean, maybe that's something he's working on the offseason. It's yeah, going to be and, interesting to see. And, and you look at Keegan Aiken, and we're going we're to start from August 1st through the end of the year. And he was a lot better to end the season, but wait, why did this not pop up? Let's try this again. Sorry. From August 1st until the end of the season, you know what? It's it's not popping up for me. I don't I don't know what's going on there. But he wasn't good. No. I, I think I remember. <laughs> no. I, I think his ERA in July was was well above seven, if I re, if I remember correctly. So for me, Keegan Aiken, he's got a shot, but he's yeah. there. Like I said, there, there's going to be 13 pitchers on this roster, and you can make it an argument that there's already 12 or 13 guys that are better than him. Uh, that deserve to be on this roster more than he does. He's he's going to be in this organization at some point. Yeah. Uh, whether not at some point, he's going unless they trade him. He's going to be in this organization either at AAA in their rotation or their bullpen or in the Orioles bullpen. I don't think he's a starter candidate at all. No. I think I think that only that, made one start last year. I, I, I think yeah. that ship has sailed. And I think it was like an opener start where he went like two innings or something like that. I think that. you're right. Um, so for me, Keegan Aiken is on the outside looking in. It's, it's up to him to have a really great camp and, and, and force the issue. Um, I, I feel like they, real quick on, on Aiken, I feel like they could flip him for a prospect given the numbers. Like there has to be some team out there who could use a lefty long reliever who had a 320 ERA last year. He did I, a lot of good things. I kept expecting them to trade Keegan Aiken as part of a package. Maybe you packaged him. I was thinking that they, like, even um, at the deadline last year, I was thinking of packages where you could send Aiken and Santander to um, to San Diego yeah. for what's that guy's name? Who was really good? In the, he, he won a Cy Young Award with Tampa Bay. Oh, Blake Snell for Blake Snell or um, somebody of the sort. Um, and then it's just because I'm like, all right. You get Blake Snell in here. You don't need Keegan Aiken because Austin both or Tyler Wells can fill that that spot. And then you have Kyle Stowers to play right field. And that never happened. And even in the off, this offseason, I still expect him to be traded as part of a package for a legitimate starting pitcher. And it just never happened. I think Keegan Aiken's time in Baltimore is winding down. And it's up to him to make that not the case. Right now, like I said, there's, a, there's more than enough guys that have... Um, Jumped ahead of him in the in the line here. So, um, who do you think is going to get that fifth spot in the rotation? It's so tough to say right now. Um, I, I think spring training is probably going to play a pretty big part in that and, and how these yeah. guys pitch. Um, but then again, I also feel like Michael Elias kind of probably has it down to like two or three guys at the moment, or not really Michael Elias, but Brandon Hyde um, has it down to two or three guys. I would lean towards Grayson Rodriguez. I would yeah. lean towards it. I would say I'm probably like 60-40 with Grayson being the 60 and Austin Voth being the 40. Yeah. Well, And the way I look at it, though, Brandon Hyde loves his guys, man. He, he does. He, he has these guys that he just loves. Ruth yeah. Nettodore was one of them last year. One of them last year was the guy you mentioned before. Uh, came over from Tampa Bay, and I'm blanking on the name now. Brett Phillips. Brett mm-hmm. Phillips was one of Brandon Hyde's guys for yeah. whatever reason. He just, for the you know, two weeks he was here. Yeah. Um, played him a lot, though, in the, he, in the two weeks. He played him a He lot. did. He sure did. Unjustifiably so. Yeah. Um, looked like Gizmo uh, with that with that <laughs> helmet on. 
But anyway, um, Brandon Hyde loves his guys, and one of his guys is Tyler Wells. And yep. you saw it at another game that I was at. It was the day after. It was at the same series of the Labor Day series where they got swept in that Labor Day doubleheader um, by Toronto. And then they came out and they won the next day. It was that game where it was the, the first time where I saw Brandon Hyde manage like he was in a playoff race. Yeah. And he brought Dylan Tate in in the sixth inning. and or, maybe, or I think it was like the third inning or something like that. He pulled his starter early and was like managing like we have to win this game. And they won the game. So then I remember because the wife and I went to the game on Wednesday, September 7th to celebrate our anniversary. Okay. And it was Dean Kramer's day to start. Tyler Wells was activated off the injured list after having not pitched for six uh, weeks. Yeah. And he started Tyler Wells, and Wells went an inning and two-thirds. And you have Dean Kramer, who at that point was arguably your best starter of the second half. His last outing against Toronto, he went seven innings and gave up four hits and two runs. And you take him off his routine to start Tyler Wells. Tyler Wells immediately puts you in a hole. And, then, and you're facing, by the way, Alec Manoa. So he immediately puts you in a 2 nothing hole. You bring in Kramer, and Kramer gives up two runs over the next five and a third innings, but you end up losing that ball game 4-1. to one. You know, and, and it's it's a situation where he loved Tyler Wells so much, and I get that Tyler Wells was so good in the first half, but he was just coming off the injured list, and Dean Kramer had been dealing yeah. the, the previous six weeks, and you start Tyler Wells. And that's what makes me think... I think it should be Grayson Rodriguez. I think Grayson Rodriguez has to lose the opportunity. Probably. And, uh, and, probably. And, but Tyler Wells, I think, has the leg up right now. I think Tyler Wells is Brandon Hyde's guy. Yeah, I think you're right on that. Um, certainly, he's one of Brandon Hyde's guys. And we'll see how Hyde's that... Guys. Yeah, he's one of Hyde's guys. Uh, and we'll see how that plays out, you know, because he is really valuable in both roles. I think Tyler Wells is one of those guys who really doesn't perform that differently in the relief role versus the starting role he was good in both so I'd personally like to see him in the relief role I think you know a seventh eighth inning guy uh to pair with Givens and, and Perez he's gonna be really good really good in that yeah. role yeah I, I'd love to see him in that role you have a lot of different options with Wells and with both for that matter they're yep. both gonna be on the 26-man roster to start the year uh, unless there's injury and Tyler Wells there's a significant yeah. history of injury for this guy he, there's a point where he didn't pitch for two years and then the Orioles took him in the Rule 5 draft, and he was really good. Uh, it's just, Hyde loves him. Hyde's guys. Yeah. We're, we're, I think we should just coin that. We have to coin that. Make Hyde, t-shirts out of it. Hyde's guys. Um, By the way, yeah. of Austin Voth, would you agree that he is the shortest leash of any guy that we were talking about in this conversation? I'd say that if they didn't sign him to a big league deal with an option for next year. I think that he has the shortest leash of anybody for a rotation spot, but I think he's going to be on this team one way or another. Okay. Unless he's just incredibly ineffective, which he could be. That's what he was with the majority of his career until he got here. But you look back at that, what Chris Holt was able to do with him, um, and he, the fact that he had the elite spin rate on the fastball and the curveball, and then he developed that slider cutter that was so uh, dominant as well. Uh, th- he's an interesting piece. I'm, I'm in, there's, a, there's a few guys who I'm interested to see if they can replicate last year. Uh, Dean Kramer being one of them, Kyle Bradish being another. Uh, not that I don't believe in them, but Kramer, I saw a lot more bad prior to last year than I saw good last year. And last year he was really good all year except for like a four or five start stretch in July. Um, but I need to see it be extended into this year before I believe that he's a guy 
That's a great team. point. I, I wouldn't say that I'm really that confident in Dean Kramer yet. I believe he is a lock for a rotation spot, but I mm-hmm. think he's got a long way to go to prove himself as a true rotation starter. He, he I'd just say hasn't. he probably has the shortest leash. That's if, fair. If, if I'm That's being fair. perfectly honest, because he's not coming out of the bullpen for you. Yeah. He's a starter for you. And, and if he goes five, six starts to start the year, and he's not that good, or he's given up, or his ERA is 5.2, you have other guys who are going to be knocking on the door who you can replace him with. Both, you can use him in a multitude of roles, and I, so I think the Kramer's leash is probably the shortest out of all of those guys. Before we hit our final break, Orioles podcast family feud. <laughs> Zach and I, the bat around, we are the lone remaining undefeated team. Yeah, we are. We are, we we are. are 4-0, and with the exception of the first matchup, none of our matchups have been particularly close. Um, no. Uh, I got a little nervous this week. Not gonna I, lie, I got but. nervous after the and the, the issue here is I know the answers to these questions and when it's my turn to try and buzz in and answer first, I buzz in. Yeah. And instead of thinking about what the best name would be or the best answer, I go with the first answer that pops into my head. Same. And that cost us in the first round and it cost us in the third round, even though we won the third round. Um, th- that was one of those situations where th- my answer was correct. But it wasn't the best one. And if we had yeah. gotten the best one, chances are we would have won that first round. And we may have swept. Um, but we were we found ourselves down 90 to nothing after the first round. And then never looked back. How did you feel about this past one? Because I want to be undefeated based on our knowledge of the team. And I didn't feel like this past Even though we won going away... I didn't feel like it was based off of our knowledge of the team, especially that final that final question where I was pissed. I hated that question because I get it. It's family feud. I don't like the subjective questions. I don't like them because it's... That was the one that teams you don't like. No, no, no. It was... Well, the teams the teams you don't like, that was... Also subjective. It was, it was subjective. Okay. And yeah, we had two out of four questions we, we, were subjective. We guessed the Dodgers. And they weren't on the list. Right. The, you... The, the, the fact that the Royals were the on Cardinals? the list because of... And the Cardinals. I like the Cardinals. I don't know. Uh, th- stupid. But... And then the final question, we ended up winning anyway because for some reason the other team didn't guess Boog Powell. Right. The Orioles, beer one. The beer former one. <laughs> Orioles players that you would like to have a beer with. And as soon as Ryan read that question, and I didn't mean it disrespectfully, I forgot about the fact that he's the one who came up with all the questions. I said out loud... This is such a stupid question. <laughs> I was so irritated because it's like, look, if we win this round, we win. Right. And we advance to the championship round. And this is the question. This is the question. I was so yeah. irritated. We won based off of subjective nonsense. And I love Ryan. I think he's doing a great job. I host, I co-host that Ryan's podcast awesome. with him for, for a reason. He put a lot of time and effort into it. I want to win based on my Orioles knowledge, not based on who I think well, looks you, like the, be- the the most likely guy to own a cat. You want to pull out Corey Patterson again, right? <laughs> I mean, answers like that is or the Bluefield Orioles when you got them the other day. Yeah. Like, answers like that are ones that I wouldn't have gotten personally and, and where you can really help us. Um, but I think we've worked well as a team, number mm-hmm. one. We've certainly um, – you got two managers last week in Dave Trembley and Davey Johnson. 
I would never have remembered those two. Joe Altabelli came into my head. I have no idea that why. That was a huge pull. I, uh, I knew it immediately, and I, I was, yeah. I'd never expected you to say it. I so and then Cal Ripken Senior. I was I was trying to think of of Orioles managers, and I remembered for you know what one year or something like that. Cal Ripken Senior managed. So I, it it comes to my head gradually. <laughs> I, I I you know I I'm not the best at trivia because especially with these 80s 90s you're, teams you're crushing. Um, man. but we're doing good. We're doing good. The the, the Cal Ripken Senior thing. It, he is, um, I think he got to manage the last, maybe in 1986. I was going to say 88. But, 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 but it, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, 1987. In 88, okay. he was the manager of the team that started 0-21. He got, That's right. He got fired. And Frank Robinson took his job, right? Yeah. For, uh, yeah. He, he got fired seven games into the year when they were 0-7. They fired Cal, <laughs> Cal Sr. seven games into yeah, the season. It's a decision. And, to the, and Cal Ripken Jr., was so pissed off about that. He was a free agent at the end of that year. He legitimately thought when they fired his, his father, I'm never going to play for the Orioles ever again. Yeah. He said it in an inter- interview multiple times that he thought, my contract's up at the end of this year. I'm signing elsewhere. By the way, I just got a text from Eric Garfield. Apparently, we're facing off against the, the Florida Prospect Pod, his podcast, um, him and Bailey. So I guess that's who we're taking on. Eric's got a wealth of knowledge. If if there's a prospect question... Um, there's 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 gonna be there's gonna be so Eric we're, we're gonna have to beat Eric on that Eric's yeah. the prospect guy for the Orioles so we, I was just <laughs> we uh the the other rounds we've won based off of mostly because of our Orioles yeah, knowledge yeah. The, this one we won two different questions that were based or we won based off of subjective questions and that's why I was so irritated when that was the fourth question because it was two out of three questions because the second round question and the Fourth round question were both subjective, yeah. and I'm just like, it really should only be one of these. Yeah, per per round. They're not in the cha- so he just texted me back. I misunderstood him. They're not in the championship yet, but if they win one more, which they probably will, because those two are, are mm. quite a good team and they've they've done well so far, um, they will face off against us. So we are we have be a, fun. We, we are like the Kansas City Chiefs. We have a <laughs> we, we, we we have a buy. We actually I think it's three weeks yeah. until our 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 next matchup, and which is the championship round. Yep. And if we lose the first round, we immediately play a second round right after that the yep. same day the championship will be decided on the 15th I have to think we're the favorites but I'm telling you man I get like crippling anxiety before each round <laughs> I don't get that nervous I I, I, I dude I have all I've all the faith in you so I'm so competitive I know you are yeah. and, but but my, my thing is I'm in most situations I am terrible with instant recall mm-hmm. and I know that about myself with the Orioles I'm not for the most part but when I quiz myself before these games to try and see what I can remember, uh, I my instant recall is so terrible that I'm nervous that's going to happen again. And I and yeah. I'm you know what I mean. Eventually something comes to me. But well, the great thing about Family Feud too is when you pass and the other team's going through, you really get a lot of time to think about it. I mean, I was sitting there on, on a couple of theirs and just like the Boog Pow one, I mm-hmm. was thinking. I was racking my brain. I was writing a whole list of guys that I thought could be it, um, and Boog was like at the top of that. But yeah. you have time a little bit more, to, so it doesn't have to be super instant in some cases. Sure, so that's except the, for the when when, when you're clicking in. And again, that's where my instant right. recall. So like the one question was, name a player that came over in a trade. And of course, Dean Kramer would have been that yeah. guy. Name a player that came over in a 2018 trade. Dean Kramer, of course, would have been number one, and Yusniel Diaz, of course, would have been number two. I was going to say, I thought of Diaz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, but... Dylan Tate is the one who's been the most consistent performer for the Orioles. So that was the first name that popped into my head. I went with it. It was like the number five answer, got the seven points. Right. And, of course, the guy chooses Dean Kramer, and they stole, and 
went on. Yeah, I had um, I had John Carmona in my head for that one. I don't know uh, why. Oh man, is he? Is, did he come over for uh, Cashner? No, he was in the um, that was Elio Prado and Nolberth Romero for Cashner, gotcha. and then he was the deal for Scope in gotcha. uh, for, and and, yeah. and uh, Luis Ortiz. Luis Ortiz and VR were in that yeah, deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then and VR is another one I couldn't believe I I, I, didn't, I didn't remember, remember that it. at all. And then the the first one, what was it name? Um, I can't even remember the first one. I, I I clicked in and I guessed like the number three answer because it was a, that that was teams you don't like and you guessed Boston, I believe. No, I said Toronto. Oh, Toronto, right? Toronto, yeah, yeah. which right now Toronto's uh, ahead of both the Yankees and the Red Sox for me. But of course. The Yankees are the number one answer. Of course they're the number one answer. Why would I not say the Yankees? Because I'm thinking about the team that I hate the most in the division, and that's Toronto. You, you know what I mean? Sure, so, it's, it's all subjective again. I yeah. mean, this is this is people voting and, and people's own opinions. So and, and it's, that's it's where always going to be. That's where, even though we're 4-0, where I struggle the most is coming up with what everybody else would think yeah. rather than what I would think. Because I'm I'm a little different. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm. He's built I, different. I'm, I'm <laughs> built different as I break an egg on my small bicep. Um, but yeah, so I have to. I, I keep telling myself, remember, it's what the majority of people would say, not what would you, not what yeah. you would say. But when I'm in the moment, I'm gonna go with what I think, which is, I hate the Toronto Blue Jays more than any other team in the division. Anyway, we gotta catch our final break. Uh, the bat around today has been brought to you by the latest edition of Pressbox, which is available now. And folks, it is our annual best of issue. On the cover, we recognize Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman as our 2022 Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year. Who else? And he sits down with us to discuss how his arrival in Baltimore was simultaneous with the Birds' turnaround. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the year throughout the local sports scene. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. When we come back in, trivia and final thoughts to close things out here on The Bataround. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. That first sip. That first bite. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our annual Best of Issue. On the cover, we recognize Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman as our 2022 Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, and he sits down with us to discuss how his arrival in Baltimore was simultaneous with the Birds' turnaround. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the year throughout the local sports scene. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. 
Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Looking for some excitement in the new year? Laurel Park has plenty of live horse racing events to spice things up this January. The much-anticipated winter meet kicks off on January 1st, plus we've got special MLK Holiday Racing on Monday, January 16th, and the Winter Carnival Stakes on Saturday, January 21st. Winter may be cold, but the racing at Laurel Park is hot. Learn more about upcoming January events by visiting laurelpark.com. All right, welcome back to the batter. I'm winding down here on uh, on these on this show on Saturday, January the 28th of the year 2023, the year of our Lord and Savior. Um, wow, I don't, I don't know. So it's just something I've heard somewhere. I think I've said it like a few times on okay. this show. Um, it's time for trivia. We're done with all of our sponsors, so uh, this is brought to you by me. I'm Paul Valley, <laughs> host of the Batter Round, co-host of. Um, uh, give that fan a podcast and potential champion of Orioles yeah. podcast soon, family feud. Soon. Hopefully. Is, th- is there a prize? No. Okay. Just, the, just the, the glory of knowing that you <laughs> know more about something that a lot of other people don't give a there crap you go. about. There you go. <laughs> um, anyway, trivia. During this offseason. I'm going to close <clears> the computer <throat> just, just from a dramatic effect here. During this offseason, okay. the Orioles have acquired starting pitchers Kyle Gibson and Cole Irvin. Two guys who have each eclipsed 180 innings pitched in one of the last two seasons. Okay. No Orioles starting pitcher has hit that number since Kevin Gossman tossed 186 and two-thirds innings in 2017. Okay. Since the year 2000, 14 Orioles starting pitchers have thrown 180-plus innings in a season, combining to accomplish the feat 26 times. Okay. Can you name 10 of them? I don't know. <laughs> Probably and not. Then, yeah, this is t- so. Chris Tillman obviously is is got to be one. Chris of them. Tillman, that is okay. correct. He uh, did it in 2014 and 2013, over 200 innings pitched in both of those years. Did Bud Norris do it? No. Okay. Uh, how about Wei Yin Chen? Wei Yin Chen did it. Okay. Uh, so I've got two. Uh, Miguel Gonzalez. No. Did not do it. Okay. Uh, I guess Bundy didn't do it at any point. No. Okay. Uh oh. Here we go. Um. I got to think back now. This is definitely gets harder after that. Um, trying to think of the, the playoff team starters they had uh, at the time. Um, 180 innings. That's a lot of innings, man. <laughs> um, this is 2000s. is not my not my wheelhouse. Let me guess. Uh, Sydney Ponson. Sydney Ponson did it. Okay. That is correct. So, so far, you've gotten Wei Yin Chen. Chris Tillman and Sidney Ponson. Okay, Sidney Ponson did it. Um, man, I'm tr- this this era is so tough for me. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Is that I, I know? And think was, this goes all the way back to 2000. 2000. Yeah, you're so right. So think about guys who were even on the team in 2000. That were, was Mike Messina, or did he leave in 2000? Mike Messina. 237 and two-thirds okay. innings pitched in the year 2000. So he left in 01 to go to the Yankees, though, right? After the 2000 season. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So Mike Messina was there. So um, you've gotten four so far. Okay. <clears throat> uh, wow. 
I can't believe you're crapping out this early, man. There's a lot. It's, it's there's it, a lot of names on this list that are obvious. I know there are, but it just it's always like coming to me is is always harder. Um, and you said no one's done it since 2017, correct? That's correct, and that was Kevin Gossman. Kevin Gossman is okay. not on this list. No, man. Um, I don't know why I can't think of it either. It's, it shouldn't be that difficult. Um, it's all names I know, but you know. Um, Wow, you want to give me a hint or two? I I'm struggling here. I, I mean, there's no hint I can give you. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it happened in. Let's see. They had at least one every year through 2017. Yeah, I I don't know. I I mean, two, the, the early 2000s. You know, wasn't really watching baseball. End of the 2000s. The four names I didn't think you were going to get are from. The one of them's like late two thousand, late first decade of the two thousands. But all the other ones that I thought you wouldn't get are from the early two thousands. But th- there's a number on here. Th- th- <laughs> I, it, there's it's, there's a few on here that if you don't get them, it, it blows my mind that you didn't get them. Uh, yeah, it's just my brain gets in a jumble when I get these trivia questions sometimes. And take I just a breath. Don't this think. isn't this isn't for anything. It's no, we're not. It's not who wants to be a millionaire. It's 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 just. It's not even for Orioles. Podcast Orioles trivia, but no, I know. Um, see, I think when people when people on that show say other names, it brings other names to my mind. Yeah. Like it'll help me remember other ones, and that's part of the reason that that's easier for me. Um, because this, I'm just thinking of like of, of straight years. Um, so if I just start naming random Orioles starting pitchers, <laughs> yeah, maybe pitchers. I don't know. Mark Mark Hendrickson. I mean Jeremy Hellickson. So what I'm trying to think of right now is oh, so how about did Jake Arrieta do it? No. Um, how I know the Calvary like uh, Millard was one of them, correct? Millard. M- maybe Miller wasn't one of them. Um, the Calvary, like the four guys that they they brought up that in like the late 2010s that were or late 2000s that were supposed um, to be really good. There uh, might be God, what are their names? There might be one guy. It, oh, you already named him. Chris Tillman, I think, is the only guy of that yeah, group he was that, part that, of the Calvary. That's, that's on this list. <laughs> the Calvary. Um I don't know. I really you don't. You gotta be ki- four? I yeah, like four, I four and I just you're crapping out. I just can't think th- about who the Orioles aces were from two thousand two. Oh, okay, Eric Bedard. See that helps. Eric Bedard. He definitely, right. he definitely Eric did. Bedard did. There it. we that go. That helps. That helps. My See when you say things like that, it sparks my memory. How, but how do you not think of that on your own? <laughs> I don't know. How do you? I not really think, don't know. Who was the Orioles' number uh, one starter in these years? I don't know. It just it doesn't come to me. It just blows my mind, man. I don't feel like you're giving it your all here. No, I am. I truly am. I'm sitting over here thinking, and it doesn't come. Uh, Eric Bedard. Uh, that was like 06, 07, probably. So. Who, That's exactly right. It was 06, 07. Yeah, so who was after right after that their best starters? They were so bad. I mean, that's the that's the other thing about it. And look, just because these guys did it doesn't necessarily mean that they were the I mean, I, best Zach, Zach Britton started off as a starter, so no, how about Zach Britton? Did it. Okay. Um, wow. I'm going to get made fun of on this for the in, the in the comments, I can guarantee it, but it's okay. It's okay. By the one guy that comments and comments <laughs> our show sucks. Yeah, yeah he m- tunes in every week. Our good buddy on there. Yeah, he, he loves the show. Loves the show. Um, he'd probably be doing better than me right now. Yeah, I, I, I you got to give me like 30 seconds or something like that. And then, all right, you have. If you give me a hint or two, I'm going to start getting them. You if have you, you have 30 seconds. If you give me a hint or the, two. The best hint, I, they don't have to be an ace. They just have to be a guy who posted up every, <laughs> yeah, I every, I, every, every fifth I, day. It's, it's blank. In, in these rotations. Just start naming Orioles starters, and you're 
bound to hit one. I'm not thinking right now. Um, that two, I'm, I'm thinking like 2005, 2006, and nothing is coming to my brain. Like nothing is coming. Well, the, the, the guy you did in 2005, I don't think you're going to get. No, I don't think I'm going to get him either because I'm do, not very do, good at do this. Do you apparently. want 30 more seconds? No, I'm okay. I'm you're good. Done? I'm okay. good. So if, if you start naming them, I'm immediately going to know. So but I'm, I'm going to start I'm bad with 2001 and work my way up. Okay. Um, these two guys, the next three guys, you never would have gotten. No. Jose Mercedes. No way. In 2001. Nope. 184 innings pitched. Okay. Um, this guy, I always thought he sucked, but he was significantly better than I remember him being. He In today's day and age, he... he uh, I got one more. Ubaldo. How about Ubaldo? Ubaldo Jimenez. Just came to my head. I don't 184 know innings pitched okay. in 2015. So right. th- this guy did it in 2003 and 2001. Okay. Jason Johnson. Never would have gotten that. 189 innings pitched in 2003. 196 innings pitched in no. 2001. <laughs> His ERA those two years were like 402 and like 418. And I remember thinking, this guy sucks. And but if he pitch if he put up those exact same numbers in the Orioles rotation now we'd love him. So it, one one other thing I'm thinking of there was definitely a Kevin in here right there was another Kevin besides Kevin Gosman. I can't there, think of the last is name. A, there is a Kevin. Yeah, I, I and he did it in 2010. I just can't think of the uh, Millwood Kevin Millwood. That's Kevin it. Millwood. There it is. There it is. 190 and two thirds innings okay. pitched. Yeah. Uh, in 2010. I said Millard and that was who I was thinking of. He Kevin wasn't part Mil- of the Cavalry Millwood. though when he came over no, here. He was yeah, 35 okay, okay. and had already uh, fair had a top three Cy Young finish like eight years prior. Okay. Um, this guy was really good for a couple years for the Orioles and then several years later came out of nowhere and was really good for the Royals for a couple of years. Bruce Chen. Oh, I never would have gotten that. 100 and, I know. <laughs> 197 yeah. in the third innings pitched in 2005. All right. Okay. Chris Benson. Nope. 2006, <laughs> 183 innings pitched. I know that name, but I never would have remembered that. And he's the guy who had the, the crazy hot and also just crazy wife, Anna Benson. Um, Rodrigo Lopez. Yeah, the I should have gotten that. The fact that you didn't get him. I should have gotten that. He in 2006 he had 189 innings pitched, 2005 209 and a third, yeah. 2002 196 and two thirds. Uh, fun little fact: I forgot that he was here for five years. So here's the thing about that one. That one I was like five years old, so or six years old or whatever. You said that was what year? Oh six. Oh two to oh six. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wasn't watching baseball at the time, so those names aren't really ingrained in my head the you same way. You got Joe of course, out to belly. I know. Well, that's only that's only because he managed the World Series team. That's why. That's I mean, Rodrigo Lopez reason. won 15 games like three times. That's fair. Beat Roger Clemens on opening day in yeah. 2002. He came in in relief, but pitched seven innings in relief. Daniel Cabrera. This one surprised me because he was he never played baseball until he was 17 years old. And four years later, he's shutting cool. out the, the, the White Sox in his big league debut for the Orioles. Ridiculously powerful arm. Not a ton of control. Walked, struck out a ton of guys. Walked a yeah. ton of guys, and was also later found more. later found out to be a huge steroid user. What, what about Brian Mattis? No, no. Brian okay. Mattis, I think, had 174 in 2009. Um, but Daniel Cabrera, 180 innings pitched in 2008, 204 and a third innings pitched in 2007. I remember in 2007, he had like he started the season like gangbusters like his first seven starts he was like untouchable okay. and then he fell off a cliff um and then the last guy on this list and this one did it more than anybody else 
Really? And I cannot believe. <laughs> I can't either, then. You did. These O's ain't royal. Jeremy Guthrie. Oh, Jeremy Guthrie. Yeah, so when you said Jeremy Hellickson, I knew there was another Jeremy, and I was trying to think of who it was, but yeah, Jeremy Guthrie. So is, Jeremy yeah. Guthrie is the only person on this list that did it four times. In 2008, 109, 190 and two-thirds innings pitched. In 2009, exactly 200 innings pitched. In 2010, 209 and a third innings pitched. And in 2011, 208 innings pitched. I stopped, after Chris Tillman, I stopped telling you the years that they did it because I was going to give you a bonus question when I expected you to actually do well on this. Um, <laughs> of who did Your it, expectations are too high. Yeah, uh, of, of who did it the most. I legitimately yeah. thought, no problem, you'd get 10 of these guys. No, see, it's just that that's the era where I really, I haven't researched it much because they were so bad. And from, you know, 2000 to 2011. So, for me... And I wasn't watching baseball that much. Jose Mercedes, oh, never, Jason yeah. Johnson, Bruce Chen... Jeremy, Jeremy Ke- Guthrie's a huge miss. Kevin Millwood and Chris Benson. I thought maybe there was an outside chance you get Chris Benson just because everybody thought talked about his wife like nonstop. Like she was the one who was on the cover of some magazine in just a, holding a bat, wearing an Orioles hat with a baseball bra on. Um, but those were the five. I thought you'd get at least nine. No problem. <laughs> well, you got five yeah. and then just quit on me. Yeah, You were just nah, like, no, nah, I'm done. No, yeah, I, I just, it, I don't know. I, again, that's the era that I, I wasn't really watching baseball, and it's not like the 80s or, or 90s teams that were really successful or the 70s teams either, where you research them because of how good they were. And we've talked about some of those teams so much in the past, I could rattle off those names. But when it comes to the 2000s, it's just much more difficult because of the two factors of me being a, a child and uh, <laughs> and the Orioles being really bad. I, 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 I don't buy it. I, I really. That's fair. I, I, Jeremy Guthrie's a huge miss. I, I firmly believe. I would have gotten you, that one eventually. That you know enough about the Orioles that you knew a lot of the guys on this list, and you just. I, and, I will and, be honest. And you were struggling like what I do with instant recall. You just struggled with it because you know all these. There's guys. a few of them. Benson, Mercedes. No idea. Jose who those Mercedes. Guys are. I wouldn't have gotten. No way. Um. Uh, Chris Benson, I may have gotten there. No. Bruce Chen, I completely forgot he was a person. Um, no, I've never heard of Bruce Chen. And Jason Johnson, I don't think I ever would have gotten either. I, I don't know who that is either. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I, but I, I remember I really him don't. very well. Okay. But I never, I never think of him. The last no. time I remember hearing about him, I think was in twenty. 10 or 2011 I remember I was living at my buddy Jess's house and I remember I was about to get in the shower I was in the bathroom I was reading an article from Rock and he was talking about how Jason Johnson was working out for the Orioles trying to make a comeback and I was like Jason Johnson he sucked why would they let that happen (laughs) um but anyway I man I thought that you would do so much I'm I'm a little disappointed, man. It's okay. Well, no, as I'm, long as we've been the family feud, it doesn't matter. I'm, right? I'm, I'm nervous for the championship. Right no, now. we're good. We got no, it. No, no, we got it. We got it. We, we got, got it. it. And like I said, when, when other people bring players up, then that helps me start to think yeah. of of other things. Um, and like for example, with the um, with Altabelli and Cal Ripken, both those were managers in the '80s. That's a, a period that I've looked at with the Orioles way more than the 2000s. If you would ask me who the manager was in the 2000s, never would have gotten it. Let's see if never I can would. if if I can remember that exactly. As it was. So 2000 was Mike Hargrove. Um, 2004 and five was Lee Mazzilli. And then it was... Perlazzo after that, right? Sam Perlazzo. Only one I know. Then it was Dave Trembley. And then when Trembley got fired, it was Juan Samuel to bridge the gap between Trembley (laughs) and Buck Buck Showalter. Okay. 
And then you, honestly, I think I can remember every Orioles manager going back to like 1989. I think it was Frank Robinson, Johnny Oates, Phil Regan, Davey Johnson, Ray Miller, Mike Hargrove, Lee Mazzilli, uh, Sam Perlazzo, Dave Tremblay, Juan Samuel, Buck Showalter, Brandon Ott. Brandon Ott, yeah. Yeah. Yep. 12 managers in 30 years. That's like a lot. Yeah. That, it is a that, lot. And then you look at it the Ravens, they've had three head coaches in their history. Yeah. It's, that's, uh, that's crazy. That's crazy. All right. Final thoughts. Do you have one or. I really don't have a final thought this week. We covered a lot, so I'll it's, let you. Uh, it's funny how have we have here. a final thought segment, and neither one of us put thought into it until well, we it, get to it. It's it's stuff that's left over that you didn't really get to say during the show, and I feel like I kind of got to cover everything. Um, mm. I I will say my my final thought. It's it's going to be abbreviated here, but um, I think the Orioles are done filling out their starting rotation. I don't think they're really going to add any more pieces, but I could see a trade of someone going away, like someone like Keegan Aiken being traded, for example, um, or someone like even Austin Voth maybe uh, a team is a suitor for. So I could see them trading away, but I think they're done adding. I still think that they could trade um, either Mateo or Arias. Definitely. But I do think that the, that the ridiculous depth that they have, excuse me, I think that they like the fact that they have both those guys yeah. on the roster right now. Oh, man. Um, I think they like <laughs> that they have both those guys and yeah. the depth that that allows them to have where they there really won't be an off day. Like, right. there won't be... I mean, you're going to have days where the team doesn't play well, but there's not going to be a day where you start the game and you're like, well, this game's already over right. type, before it even starts type of situation. So I do like that. My final thoughts, and you said something we didn't get to. I want to talk a little bit about the mass in dispute. I wanted to... Um, bring this up with you and this is more this is I, I think that the mass and dispute is coming close to being resolved um in the sense that I think the Orioles have won I think they've won because the Nationals wouldn't be here if they hadn't hadn't agreed to the terms that Peter Angelos because Peter Angelos would have blocked them forever from putting a team in DC if, if he hadn't they hadn't agreed to it and the the they own the rights to the Nationals TV broadcast in perpetuity. They are the owners of Masson, the Orioles are. And the Nationals were okay with signing that contract because it got them a ball club in D.C. And then as soon as they got good, and as soon as they started playing competitive baseball and were contenders year in and year out, they suddenly didn't like the deal. Well, sorry, bruh. Like, that's what you agreed to. And last I checked, signed contracts are ironclad. And you really think that you're going to go up against the Angelos Law Firm, and and win this? To to me, to me, this was over before it started, and the fact that it's dragged out like this as long as it has, is laughable. How are you ever gonna turn that around? Well, it's not fair now. Well, that does that doesn't matter. This is what you agreed to. So sorry for you. This is what you agreed to. I don't know what it means for the Nationals. I don't know. Somebody speculated, if this means that the Nationals are going to move, I'd like to see them move to Nashville. The Nationals aren't going to move. That's not that's not going to no. happen. It might it might have an impact on the sale of the team, and then we all know that Leonis is just trying to sell that team. But uh, to me, the fact that it ever got this far is like how. Well, I, it was I, a contract I, that they signed, and it it's not over, but in my mind, it's over. And especially considering the fact that you have Leonsis trying to sell the team and Peter Angelos, um, more so the Suns, trying to sell the team. So mm -hmm. you're having really the two sides who've been fighting over this. It's not 
the teams, it's really the, just the owners. So and, this and, will come to a, a conclusion. And, and Fred Manfred and Major League Baseball in general have basically said, yeah, we don't think the contract is fair, but there's nothing where you can really do to overturn it. Mm-hmm. Like it's it is what it is type of situation. So so to me, it's uh, again how this ever came to be an issue. Yeah. Like it, it's it's like I don't know. I, 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 you and me agreeing that I'm going to give you my car for your car. (laughs) And then three years down the line, your car starts to crap out and my car is still performing at a high level. And me being like, well, I don't like this. This wasn't a fair trade. Give me my car back. No, we agreed to this. It's been this way for a long time now. Yeah. Sorry for you. Like, like you can't do that. It, to me, I can't believe this. It was ever a dispute to begin with, and, and Nationals fans will cry. Well, this isn't fair. You own seventy percent of our TV rights. Well, that's what you agreed to. Sorry. So anyway, um, I just said the same thing sixteen times in about a five minute span. But uh, th- that's really I, that's really my only final thought for today. And that I'm just super excited for the Orioles. It, it's oh, crazy, yeah. man, because I haven't gotten that itch for baseball, and it's not because I haven't gotten that itch for baseball. It's just because like. To me, the itch is for opening day. Yeah. For for me, spring training, there's nothing really to see. It's we already know Especially now yeah. compared to the past few years. Yeah. Like we we know who this team is gonna be. They there's one battle in all spring training, and it's that fifth it's that fifth rotation spot. And there's one battle for that. And aside from that, we already know. I have a final thought, by the way. Uh, a second final thought. Masson. Please televise some spring training games this year. More than last year. I'm not talking two. Do like six. Yeah, I think a lot they, of people they, would enjoy that. They used to do like six or seven. Yeah. And they did like two last year and it was towards the end. And that was they they were using COVID as the excuse last year. Which which was a decent They were like the last reason. team to send their broadcasters yeah. on the road. They, it's true. They were. And I'm I'm not hating on them. I think basically baseball came in and was like Send your, your your broadcasters on the road. Makes for the, a better product. The, this year there's no there's no reason not to televise uh, spring training games. People want to see him, especially yep. with how good this team is, how good we expect this team to be this year, and how much better we expect them to get over the next several years. Uh, televise games. That's, that's a great point. Televise them. Give us reason to tune in. Otherwise, because yeah. the programming on Madison, who the hell wants to watch poker? On, right. on, on Madison. Right. Or, or, Wrestle, or WrestleMania or something no, from like Wrestle- six years ago. Or, or, they play a lot of replays. Or, or, or a tennis match from 1998. Right. Like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. who cares? Yeah. Play, play. They do need to get better programming. They need to get their own original content on Madison. I think people would really enjoy it. I mean, they have such talent in Paul Mancano we've had on the show and, and his co-host Brendan. There's so many guys they could use in TV shows, and they they have in the past, but they haven't necessarily done that recently. So yeah, there's, there's, um, there's no there's no reason that there's not a daily sports show. There's not a daily basket baseball show. And with the or, team or getting weekly. better, and they, and they get do viewership. they do have weekly shows, but they can ramp it up a bit. Yeah. They, they they for sure can ramp it up a bit. Do profiles, do the stuff like DL Hall. Have stuff like that yeah, on Mass. Exactly. You know what I mean? Anyway, thank you to Stan the Fan Charles for his weekly segment. Thank you to uh, Orioles, new Orioles beat writer for the Baltimore Sun, Jacob Meyer, for coming on the show and letting us all get a chance to know him. Thank you to Zach for his continued excellence as my co-host and producer. And thank you to all of our sponsors. And more importantly, thank you to all the people that listen in and give us reason to have a show every single week. We will see you next week. See ya!